Warning, this program typically features respectful, nuanced, and well-informed commentary, strong language, obscure pop culture references, and spurious allegations. <laughs> Do I know that to be true? No, I don't. But am I going to say it? Fuck, yes, I am. <laughs> yeah, I'm like everybody else on fucking Twitter. I'm an expert in everything. We know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Greetings and welcome back to another exciting installment of the Fifth Column Podcast. This is your weekly rhetorical assault on the news cycle, the people that make it, and occasionally ourselves. I'm Camille Foster. I am in New York City for the moment. For now. Wait, we actually started? Yeah, why not? Oh, shit, okay. (laughs) This time. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, it's not as if we've been dicking around for an hour and a half. Well, you know. Continue. you You know what? Yeah. Continue. That's Michael Moynihan of Vice yeah, News. Yeah. I'll introduce exactly. him first. It's not really the custom, exactly. usually, but I will Should because be he's complaining. Bit, you know, this is Michael Moynihan's podcast. It's mine now. Welcome to <laughs> yeah. Michael Moynihan yeah. and the fifth column. The one column. Yeah. <laughs> Have a George Jefferson accent? <laughs> what? I can't. That is like, that's the new one. George Matt Jefferson. Welch, editor at Large of Reason Magazine. He's moving on up. <laughs> and uh, we're delighted to be with you today. Um, I really don't know what we're going to do. We're going to figure it out on the fly. Yeah. There's plenty of shit going on, things that need to be adjudicated and addressed. President of the United States apparently headed to Georgia, last I heard, because there's some unprecedented shit going on now. A president who just recently lost an election, one of the most extraordinary losses in a while. Not in the sense that the Electoral College thing was a sweep, but this is the very first time in a while that an incumbent president has not managed to win re-election, and this loser is headed to Georgia to stump for two Republican candidates is that what for he's the doing Senate. Now? Is that what he's really doing? Maybe he's no, announcing his race doing. for 2024. Trump 2024. Or maybe some he's going to try to agitate for the seventh recount. Or he'll agitate for <laughs> civil war. Some of, the, some of his supporters. It's it's hard to say who's calling the shots there, those weirdos. Uh, you know what is lawyer. amazing? I, I just said this. I think we talked about this before of like, I can't wait till Trump's gone so we don't have to hear about him all the time and people will stop. Here, here's the thing that I realized today. Like, everyone is fucking awful. <laughs> I, today, it really today? crystallized. Today? Yeah, yeah, today. Everybody's, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I'm in my, I'm in my early 30s. I just look like I'm in my 40s. Just, dear listeners, <laughs> please understand that both Moynihan and Camille, mm. like, ate more Adderall. That's not true. Okay. <laughs> Slightly more. Yeah. But, like, these guys are going to be doing some, like, uh, clap push-ups oh. in, like, full John Travolta, Boy in the Bubble costume. Oh, man. Pretty hey. soon. Hey. Yeah. I was, uh, my, I, my, I think I get that reference. My mic stand just fell down. Because, you know why? Because I'm so mad. I'm mad. <laughs> I'm mad about the fact that every time I turn on, you're going to be a little off mic here, so yeah. shut up and stop complaining. That, um, man, everybody, I looked on Twitter for like two minutes today, and I'm like, are you, it's not even that everyone's dumb. It's not even that. Uh-huh. It's that they're just assholes. Like, what yeah. is the thing that, is anyone ever stomp themselves? Because, like, I'm like, I honk at somebody in this street, I honk at a lot of people, and like, I yell at them and stuff. I have a bit of a, you've seen that anger issue. Yeah. But look, I know there's no stunning new insight in this, and everyone knows Twitter is like an asshole creation machine, but good God, is everyone fucking terrible. And you know, I can we just get something out of the way, Matt, because you work at Reason Magazine, and today there's some version of this, because our friend, and I, I consider her a friend, and I, I really love I, Shika, I do too. And uh, I've known her for years, Shika Dalmia, 
who is no longer working at Reason. And, you know, I haven't talked to you about this, right? So let's be clear about this. You know, we've I, we've traded some this is what's going on. What the hell's going on, Matt? But I know no details of this and I don't know how much you can talk about this. But the thing that's crazy to me is that personnel issues as people, as somebody who's been involved in these things are super complicated, right? Mm-hmm. You know, long-term interactions with editors. And again, people, I'm not telegraphing anything. I'm just saying my own experience totally separate from, from reason. And she has nothing to do with that, but it's complicated, right? Mm-hmm. And there's so many issues. And to see all these people who literally know nothing about the situation, including myself, I'm not tweeting about it, but I know nothing about it, um, are just saying, well, here is what happened and now we should write off a magazine that, you know, I've been affiliated with. I used to work for in some cases. Um, what is going on? For, is uh, still right for? What is going on? Are you working for a publication that is an obsessively Trump? <laughs> Trump is so crazy to even say that, you know, you, you crush all anti-Trump dissent. And particularly when it's a woman of color. Matt, answer these charges. So. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, like it was really difficult to get that piece that was actually uh, assigned to me, the case against Trump, why Trump is an enemy of freedom, hmm. which is the issue that I think that was on uh, stands uh, when uh, the election happened, or at least the one before. Um, no, I mean, you're right, Michael, in that um, uh, personnel issues are difficult to ascertain in this particular case to take the tension out of the room. I have no idea what happened. Um, if I did know what happened, I wouldn't talk about it. Yeah, um, well, I, I assumed. <laughs> but I would I would at least say I know about it and I'm not talking about it. You put me it. on the spot in the Patreon episode. You're where still you, not going to let uh, me. No, no, when you said something, I was like, you sandbagged me on this thing. Because I, no, and, no, no. I, and so I'm doing that to you right now. I'm a public person <laughs> in the world. And no, but this is actually, I'm uh, on one hand, I don't want to talk about it in that it's an unhappy thing. I love Shika. I've known her for 20 years. Yeah. Uh, I love Catherine Mengu Ward. Um, mm. uh, and she's my, also my boss and I've worked with both of them for 15 years. And so, um, by definition, this is a sad story. It just bums me out. Yeah. It mm-hmm. bums me out. And I see so many people that are involving themselves on Twitter that, that seem to sort of be gleefully tweeting about something that they don't know a ton that's, about. And maybe they're right. Maybe they're wrong. I have no idea. But that's it's just, the shit that, that really bothers gross. me. The weird taking of sides that, yeah, that happens, especially amongst people who in some instances, like know plenty of people mm. associated with the situation, which would mean they would know plenty of people on either side to the extent there are sides to this entire affair. And I, I don't understand that. Some context. I love that, them both. So. That will help people figure things They're out, or at least there are commonly repeated things by people who are journalists, or in some cases, that's what they call themselves, um, or commentators on, on Twitter, some of them uh, being uh, just reacting how they normally would. Sometimes I think reacting opportunistically. I think there are some things that they have sp- they, they have passed along or some assumptions they've made that aren't true. And it's worth talking about those things, regardless of what actually happened, because I don't know what actually happened. OK, right? um, but the main one is that there is a, uh, a commonly uh, held uh, assumption or assertion that this is because donors to the foundation that publish reason um, like, uh, you know, called for her to be fired. That's why she was fired. Mm. Donors don't fire people at Reason Magazine. Editors. Um, do um that's it i was the editor so you're saying that catherine mangu ward buckled to donors (laughs) i'm joking no i'm 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 saying very much uh the opposite i know you're joking um but like 
The decision is hers alone. Mm. Whatever came into that decision, who knows? The decision is hers. So if if you're going to mount a case that reason is suddenly this fill-in-the-blank magazine, this this magazine that is so cautious about criticizing Donald Trump that it employs me, um, uh, uh, that all that is happening. Uh, but also, if you do this and you know Catherine, mm-hmm. who is someone who has, uh, uh, you know, she's someone, I, yes, is my boss, also used to be my managing editor, uh, also named this podcast, not a small thing. Fifth mm, column is her suggestion. Don't, don't, don't tell people so that. So you know where then our loyalties lie. Because we don't want to be on the record. Yeah. Because then she's going to try to get money out of us or something. That's true. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, the decision was hers. So you're, you're, are you, with the. Considering she's lost all that donor money. By saying, you know, this means X, you were saying that Catherine, a person who many of the people who might be making these, these allegations or accusations is a basically a corrupted person. I don't believe that Catherine Mangu Ward is a corrupted person. In fact, no, I know I that yeah. to be the opposite. I don't know the circumstances beyond, beyond uh, any of this. Uh, and that's important to say. Um, and, and again, I love and value Sheikah's work. I love and value reason. Um, there is no uh, uh, tonal or, or like subject matter shift that this portends. There is a thing, because I mean, again, I think probably a good majority of our, our listeners don't really care about stuff like this anyway, but I think there's a broader point that I, um, I mean, I care about it insofar as I care about, you know, Shika, who I love and has been really generous to me over the years. And I remember came and did a show that I was doing one time when we shot in Detroit and she was absolutely terrific. And it was her uh, fighting with uh, Charlie, uh, what's his name, the whole time. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Charlie yeah. Ledoff. Um, and she's great. And I, I would absolutely pay for that, like, limited limited edition. Uh, yeah, it was, it, it was pretty crazy. They were just, like, they were, like, yelling at each other the whole time. And, um, you know, and Catherine, I have an enormous amount of respect for, and she's the last person I would suggest is somebody, like, in the thrall of uh, sort of Trumpian donors. But the thing that I think is strange about it is, is this constant invocation of cancel culture, as if, you know, well, you guys at Reason, and I, I basically Robbie is the one who writes about this a lot. You know, you have a beat, and that's Robbie's beat. And he does very, very good work on it and has done some pretty impressive, like, deep dive journalism on this stuff. Um, and you're engaging in it yourself. Well, <laughs> you know, cancel culture is a bad phrase, right? It, it's it's mm-hmm. an inexact phrase. It's been hijacked by people who use it. Uh, you know, in, in, in bizarre ways. And it includes the people that are making this yes. charge now that yes. you're, this is some it, version it, of cancel culture. easily caricatured. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and by the way, if you're like, so, you know, if you're at an ideological magazine and you, and again, I'm not again, this, be clear people, this is not what I'm saying. It happened in this situation, but if you're at an ideological magazine, anyone and people decide to part ways with you because of ideology. And I, I strikes me that that's not what happened here, but if that were the case, that, doesn't necessarily mean that you're involved in cancel culture, right? Cancel culture is a different thing. And I, and, and again, I don't like the phrase, but what it means to mm-hmm. me is somebody whose life is made miserable within an organization because of their political views, um, who is not given opportunities because of their political views, who is actively called, say, you know, Barry Weiss, a Nazi by her coworkers, which I mean, actually be, happened. It could be political views. It could be other like uh, it could be other things you know, too. Contested, contested uh, claims. Ex- like yeah, and it's just you know it is shunning someone. It is you know it's not like a personnel issue in the traditional sense. And and you know when somebody says that is we are going to shut you down 
totally from doing anything, which is what the claim, of course, that is is made in this case, um, fire you, et cetera, for your political views. That is not exactly what I believe. And again, this is a fluid definition. It's not what I believe and what I think of when I think of cancel culture in that in that sense. I think of somebody like, you know, Barry's experience within The Times, which, you know, I know Barry and I believe her and she's been on the podcast and I've seen evidence of this from things that she's shown me. It was a brutal place for her to work, a brutal place for her to work. And, and, and for no reason other than what she believed about a couple of issues. And I find it to be an imprecise comparison to say that, you know, OK, we had a parting of ways because we are an ideological magazine and now we totally disagree on everything. Um, and we are trying to message one thing. Right. If you fire somebody because of that, and again, I don't believe that to be the situation here from the limited amount that I know. And just because of the personalities, I just it strikes me that'd be very strange for for somebody who I respect, like Catherine, to do. But it just seems like a very, very different type of thing. If you have a falling out over you're the editor and you fundamentally disagree with somebody and you are operating enterprise that has in its tagline a kind of ideological phrase, right? Free minds, free markets. It's saying two things. If you start disagreeing with that, and again, not what happened here, but if and you fire somebody because of that, it's not cancel culture, right? And I don't believe, again, that this is what happened, but I think that the, the imprecision of that phrase um, is only and it's only used to be like, aha, you are just as bad as the people that you pretend to be. Well, no, I don't believe that to be the case. Well, yeah, very, and, very different example. And there's an there's an intimation. Again, that, I, don't, I don't know a ton about it, but even if they, I'll, just, I'll just say this in the worst reading of it, it's still different. In the worst reading, it's still different. And the, the intimation is that, oh, you know, maybe we should uh, we should not be covering this other stuff as as strongly. And um, and. People who are making that um, so far have not demonstrated uh, at all journalistically mm-hmm. that what they think is happening uh, is happening. Um, it, they have journalistically. It's Twitter. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's Twitter. I, I would say there one last thing: throwing darts on Twitter. Yeah. Don't don't want to belabor this, and, and clearly yeah, yeah, every yeah, yeah, yeah. second that I talk about this is a second that I'm jeopardizing my own job, uh, uh, getting canceled here. But uh, but it's contextually perhaps interesting that. I fired David Weigel from uh, Reason Magazine in 2008 or nine or something like that. It was after the election. Yeah. This wasn't, you know, any kind of big deal at the time. Uh, uh, but it, it came up when Weigel was involved, when like the Washington Post first fired him. Of oh, the, journal, the, the, the journalist stuff. The journalist and, scandal. Just, jur- just Google journalist. Um, it's kind of indecipherable now. But anyways, it's the thing that happened back then. And as part of. <laughs> of this like mini kerfuffle that has vanished me- from memory. Cause after all, Dave Weigel works for the Washington Post. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, and he's a perfectly fine journalist. He's a good friend. He's been a former, uh, 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 mem- uh guest of this podcast. Um, but in the wake of this, when he was the center of journalistic attention, uh, it came up that, Oh, he got fired from reason. And Dave wrote a piece for big government, right? Which is one of the, uh, oh, wow. the yeah. run yes. Breitbart, Andrew Breitbart thing, wing yeah. in the uh, late aughts. Um, uh, the late Mike Flynn, who was a friend of uh, Michael and I's. Moynihan owns, owes him some smokes. Oh, but, okay. Uh, okay. In the Russia house, we don't even want to start. Um, but uh, at any rate, uh, Dave wrote an account of him being fired at Reason, which wasn't the central part of the story at all. But in it, he said like, yeah, you know, after the election, Reason was going into sort of a wonky anti-Obama thing. And I had voted for Obama. And so Matt Welch said, you know, maybe it's time to go. Hmm. I'm, I'm condensing a little bit here. And you can see the stuff that I wrote about it that's precise on this. 
um, and the impression that people got and then immediately amplified everywhere on social media is like, aha, mm -hmm. proof that Matt Welch doesn't like Obama voters or something or like, you know, doesn't like people who are, are Democratic. It's like, you, you know that there were two people running for president in 2008, right? And like, I wrote a negative book about one of them <laughs> and his name wasn't Obama, right? Like, can we just figure this stuff out? Um, but like, it was... It was widely mischaracterized from the outside by people who are, are either just kind of a little bit lazy or who found it opportunistic for their own reasons to say X, Y, and Z. Um, and anyone who's been involved with this, and in fact, I remember writing a tweet storm. We're at Nancy Rommel's apartment right now. Um, uh, when you were in the mess in, in uh, Portland, like anyone who's been at the center of a controversy for a hot week or a day or 10 hours or 10 months, whatever, doesn't matter. If you've been at the center of it enough that it gets even journalistic attention, one of the biggest takeaways is like, oh my God, journalism is terrible. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. Everyone it, it is getting it so it wrong. They're not calling anybody. No. You can, you know what? Here's my, <laughs> for those, if there are journalists listening to this um, and who are like, oh, we have a story about the, about Dalmia Gate. Here's my great tip. Don't listen to a word I say because, as I mentioned at the outset, I don't have a fucking yeah, idea what happened. Either. Just really don't. Yeah. Don't have one. Um, and wouldn't say it otherwise, but don't have one. Here's what you do. Call Catherine Mangu Ward. Just call her. Just yeah. call her on the phone. Get a quote. Get a quote. Um, I, th I, th quote I think, I think Andrew, Actually. Andrew Carell did, by the way. Um, but I, I, I would just say... You know, yeah, I don't know what happened and it's none of my business and I feel weird even talking about it. But I think in the, the one takeaway when I was looking at this was just that that, you know, this happens when people if this was ideological, then that's common. Right. I mean, Christopher Hitchens left the nation <laughs> because he became a big supporter of the Iraq war. Mm. And that really just didn't jibe with what they were doing anymore. Um, that wasn't he wasn't canceled. Uh, it was just they had very different views of the world. And I don't believe, that, again, that's what's happening in this case. But that's that's fairly, fairly common. And it just I mean, I'm reading this stuff and and, you know, there's I know Andrew Carell, who who, who did uh, make some calls and, you know, people on both sides of this. But, yeah, for the most part, that's not what happens. And, it you know, it's like reminds me of the unbelievably shitty Allen Ginsberg poem that everyone loves. Howl. Howl? Yeah, terrible, <laughs> absolutely terrible poem. Um, but the first line of that, you know, it's like, I have seen the most mediocre minds of my generation driven mad by Twitter. Um, and it's it's interesting because I'm like, well, these people are boring. What was they, weird is that Al Ginsberg <laughs> predicted Twitter like back in 1956. <laughs> we didn't see that coming. Yeah, well, he was also a pedophile. Too, so he predicted <laughs> Jeffrey Epstein. <laughs> He was like, he was the pre-Epstein. He was the poetic Epstein. Did I tell you about my Allen Ginsberg story? Yes. Okay. I think you told him this podcast, okay. actually. We'll, um, we'll pocket that one. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, look, I'm glad we were able to address this. At least I hope you haven't said too much, Matt, that might get you in trouble. But I'm, I'm going to steer us away from this um, because there's other stuff to talk about. And again, the whole thing makes me a little uncomfortable and sad. So we should talk about things that don't make me nearly as sad. Like, I don't know, the decrepit state of the country and all of the insanity that is currently fucking going on. Um, there is what is in some circles being described as the third wave uh, of COVID that is sweeping across the United States in second wave, I suppose in Europe, but even the picture description of it as a third wave in the United States doesn't seem to make nearly as much sense because I think what's actually happening is geographically it's kind of hitting yeah, in different places and peaking right, yeah. in different 
intervals. So here in New York, this is definitely a second wave. And to the extent it is a wave, its case counts are much higher. Hospitalizations are up. But death rates, uh, fortunately, have not risen nearly as much as one might have expected with a case count that is this high for complicated reasons. And further complicating things is the fact that this is happening all over the world in various Mm -hmm. places in kind of the same way regardless of the kind of policies that were instituted before, whether or not folks were locking down, whether or not they were using masks, et cetera, which is not to suggest those policies do or do not work, but only to suggest that the circumstance is pretty complicated and there are a lot of difficult things to tease out. So I think that may be worth devoting a little bit of attention to and perhaps some predictions that were made uh, around the time of that last presidential debate when I think Joe Biden said that there would be maybe another 250,000, 200,000 people who died today. by January. <laughs> well, then he, he'd said it during the debate, so he's apparently still making that prediction Yeah, I he just misspoke during the debate. No, today. So we're recording this on... This is December 2nd. Was it Wednesday? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, Tomorrow's my daughter's birthday. That's how I know. Yay. And the day after that is Jay-Z's birthday, which... You sound a little bit more excited about that, to be honest. (laughs) Well, we thought she was going to be born on December 4th. We were actually a little excited about that, and then it didn't work out. Did you have a different name set up? Yes. Hove. (laughs) Hove. (laughs) It didn't work out. It's fine. Uh, I'm sorry. What were we talking about? I don't know. Uh, Yeah. COVID. Yeah. Yeah. COVID. yeah. You were saying that, that Biden had said again yeah, today. today, just today, there was, yeah. he had a, a, a meeting that was uh, uh, zoomed or whatever crap. And he's like, yeah, you know, if, uh, right now we're in the, uh, uh, looks like the, we might have 250,000 deaths before January, by January, mm-hmm. in January, between extra between now we've had a quarter million now. Yeah. 273,000. Um, yeah. So we're going to, we're going to double that up in the next. That seems Highly unlikely. A little, yeah. little hyperbolic. Highly unlikely. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure that's the government of but that's, experts. That's not that to say that, that the next okay. couple of months won't be very difficult in certain parts of the country. Yeah, yeah. There's there are a lot, of, world too, lot right? of, yeah, absolutely. Latin America, there's actually pretty nasty things taking place. Various parts of Europe, there's still pretty difficult things taking place. It's bending down in Europe, in uh, England. It's, bend, it's bending now. down, but I think one of the most useful metrics is that, you know, to kind of clear away some of the ideological fog that creeps in and, mm-hmm. and you know, it, it never made any sense to me that there was, you know, a kind of right wing position on this and a left wing position doesn't like, particularly when it comes to things like mass. I mean, I can people say personal freedom, but if a mask actually is, is works, then that negates that argument because you're obviously potentially harming somebody else. But the thing that, that mm. you should look at is deaths per million in other countries. Right? Mm-hmm. And if you look at the United States, which is, you know, the focus and raw numbers, obviously, mm-hmm, these mm-hmm. are quite large, but we're quite a large country. No one ever talked. I mean, we talk about Sweden, right? We talk about the U.S. because we have Donald Trump here. And in Sweden, you had a policy that was not a lockdown policy and it wasn't a mask policy. And they did rather poorly compared to other um, Scandinavian countries, particularly mm-hmm. well, I say Nordic countries, because including Finland, which had a very low um, rates of transmission and death. But then you look right south of them and Belgium is beating them. Belgium is beating the U.S. No one ever talks about Belgium because right. there's not really a ideological we're axe to grind there. There's yeah, no Boris Johnson. There's embarrassed Trump. embarrassed by Belgium? <laughs> Belgium's not a real country. Yes, thank you. Belgium is a fake country. Yep. It is North France and West uh, Netherlands. Yes. Uh, that is joined together and, and they, apparently they decided that Flemish was a real language. Not no, true. it's a heavily accented version of Dutch. 
<laughs> Do I know that to be true? No, I don't. But am I going to say it? Fuck, yes, I am. Yeah, I'm like everybody else on fucking Twitter. I'm an expert in everything. I'm just going to make shit up. Yeah, but it's, it's bad. It's bad everywhere. And it, you look at these raw numbers and there's so many things to criticize um, Trump about. There's so many criti- things to criticize Boris Johnson and Macron and all across the board. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you realize that these numbers, it looks like nothing is really mattering because mm-hmm. there's all these Western European countries from the UK, France, um, Germany is, is kind of an exception to this. Uh, Netherlands is slightly lower, but still pretty bad. Belgium is very, very bad that th- there's a kind of uniformity when it comes to the deaths per million. They're kind of all in the same yeah. area. Yeah. Um, some are significantly bigger and some are significantly lower. And that's what we should be. No one's talking about Finland. They're too busy scoring ideological points about Sweden. I mean, we should be having a conversation about what the fuck the Finns are doing. Because and, they're doing quite a good job. And the reason why, though, the reason why those numbers are all grouping together, I mean, it's fairly complicated. One could imagine some potential narratives if you had had particularly restrictive policy early on and you'd done a yeah. good job of bending the curve early and you saw case counts beginning to creep up, the likelihood that you would be willing to reinstitute those policies very quickly yeah. as opposed to take your chances because things didn't get nearly as bad where you were, I think that might be there. And when it comes to public health policy, Part of what you're doing is you're looking at the efficacy of the policy that you're developing, both with respect to the scientific basis for the policy and the likelihood that people and I I imagine one at least has to consider this, the likelihood that people will actually follow this and that it can be sustained and that it can be repeated over and over again and sustained. And we're learning a lot of this shit on the fly. And whether or not folks are actually going to be willing to tolerate these lockdowns repeatedly is another thing entirely. And certainly what people think as they are enduring these very restrictive policies and they are watching the policymakers who are responsible for developing <laughs> and implementing these policies completely thwart the policies and ignore the fuck say, out of them, I do. telling you to stay home while they go on a Mexican vacation or telling you that you're not allowed I mean, to have you more mean than literally, two people. That's not like a euphemism. No, that's, that's a real thing. Like a Mexican happened. vacation yeah. from the tiny yeah, yeah. share in Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> telling, telling you that you're not allowed to have more than 10 people inside your home. And if you do, we may shut off your fucking water and power. If, if we hear about these things, while, of course, going out to French Laundry to have a beautiful dinner with, with your fucking friends. lobbyists, too. With your friends. I, I mean, it's not even your friends. I mean, well, Gavin Newsom is, give you money. With, is with, those, like, that was yeah. the California Medical Association. Association, something yeah. like that. Lobbyists, massless, and like an insanely expensive restaurant. It's like the ultimate fuck you to poor people. I loved Sheila. You stay in your house. Sheila Kuehl, who's been a LA City Councilwoman uh, for a thousand years. Former child uh, actress. She was on the Dobie Gillis or whatever the hell that was in the 50s. Re- my mother, the car. Uh, my mother, the car. Um, <laughs> her nickname locally was Sheila Cruel. Um, oh, uh, wow. On the thing. So she's. This uh, joyless, uh, uh, bad person. And she voted uh, in favor of L.A. County's, uh, I think, maybe she's a county supervisor or L.A. City's, whatever. She must be on county because because uh, it's the county that did the uh, uh, ban against outdoor dining. Yeah. 10 million people in Southern California are told as of this Monday, and we're recording this again on a Wednesday, that you cannot eat at a restaurant outdoor doors mm-hmm. the, the place that has like mm-hmm. ventilation and breeze and things like that can't mm-hmm. do it so she voted for that 
on uh, like, let's say it was a Monday on Tuesday. Uh, she went to eat yeah. at a restaurant yeah. outdoors. Is, is there another n- another part to this story or was this just reported about? There was a conversation about the scientific uh, legitimacy of this policy, whether uh, or not. Reason did a great piece. Zach Weissmuller did a great uh, Reason TV piece. But has she been asked about this directly? I mean, have, has anyone responded to this formally and said, no, I mean, we don't No, There's no basis for this. There's no reason to believe that eating outside has driven the rise in cases. Or I, that don't, puts I don't people know the at answer to that, but I suspect I don't know the answer if they've been asked. Because I, I know public health officials have weighed in on this yeah. and have suggested that there is no well, I mean, indication that If we think, if we that think about the hypocrisy thing, I was talking about this with uh, my wife, Emmanuel, uh, earlier today. Like, can you believe the hypocrisy of these individual politicians who are doing this, Gavin Newsom at the French Laundry? I, he wasn't even the only person at the French Laundry. London Breed, the mayor of, right. of, of San Francisco. Well, there there after, are fewer people at that party. But it was a day day later, yeah. After yeah. Gavin Newsom did it. Um, but like, <laughs> but like, it's actually kind of more um, uh, chilling to imagine their own sense of justification because you can actually get there, which is that like, yeah, I know that let's say in New York, it's what the rule is like, you're not supposed to have a gathering of more than 10 people. And I've had a gathering at my house of 15 people since that went into, into effect. It was outdoors. It was kids in our pod. There's lots of reasons for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're admitting like, to crimes on this podcast. I can, mm-hmm. I'm admitting to crimes, lots of crimes in this podcast. Uh, but, but of course, like, this podcast, we might be lying. It may not be true. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Um, okay. But like, I hope you're addressed by Andrew Cuomo. Yeah. In his From next their briefing. point of view, the uh, <laughs> official's point of view, it's like, yeah, okay. You know, the letter of the law is not necessarily something that I believe in scientifically, mm. but we have to draw a line somewhere in order to change behavior. Um, and so in that, you know, what we do know is that behavior has to be changed during the holiday season so that people all just don't fly everywhere and meet with everybody and have a barf in each other's face, wedding and party and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so these will be the stronger than even we think are like strictly textually necessary restrictions. But we do that because on balance, if we tell people there's don't do that. But there's definitely no repercussions that I can think of consistently lying to your constituents to mold their behavior. And ultimately, they find out that what they're being told to do is actually not true or not necessary. Well, we're just trying to trick you a little bit to make sure that you do something, you know, a little down the road rather than doing it right now. It's like masks back in March. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And it's Mm -hmm. and and, and people start doubting this stuff. and, And then we start wondering why. One of the things about this that drives me absolutely bonkers is and we've discussed this many times, is the expression that we believe the science. We're science people, right? And they're mm-hmm, not. Mm-hmm, it's like, well, mm-hmm. you're not, actually. Yeah. They're not either. But to say that we believe in science, 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 abo- above all else, and you do things like this. You do things like, you know, no outdoor dining. No, I mean, there's a million of these small little things that we're supposed to do uh, that uh, the efficacy of them are either questioned or mm-hmm. proven to not have any effect whatsoever. And then you see, because it, it, it's just the kind of, it reminds me of the uh, Reverend Lovejoy's wife on The Simpsons, who occasionally shrieks, won't somebody think of the children, <laughs> right? I mean, that's what it is. It's like, it's like no, no, we, we want to, sh- we, we, we are pro-science because we're doing something. We're affirmatively doing something about this. You are sitting back and doing nothing. You're taking the mask off. You're going to rallies. You're going to this, that, and the other. You're not doing anything. We're doing something. Something is good. Nothing is bad. So, for instance, I sent you a story today that San Francisco and its infinite wisdom of its idiotic council 
uh, said they were going to ban smoking, um, which they've passed this now, in people's apartments. Okay. What else was in that headline? Vaping. They're banning vaping in people's apartments. Why? You believe in science, don't you, you dumb fucks? What is, is there secondhand vape? Oh, I wasn't aware of this. I didn't see this breaking news story that the smell of raspberries in your fucking vapor is going to give you tumors, you liars. Because they're like, well, we're trying to mold their behavior. Stop trying to mold my behavior and stop lying to people because a lot of people I know, specifically, you know, myself, have stopped smoking cigarettes because of vaping. Thank God. And thank God I wasn't dumb enough to listen to the people in the San Francisco, you know, idiot Politburo that says, no, no, it's just as bad. If it wafts through the window, it might kill somebody. What on earth are you talking about? You can't vape in public parks in San Francisco. It's true. Because in public parks outside. So is it a leg stretch? In shit. Well, you, like, you, yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's, the, the thing is, it doesn't have any effect on San Francisco because everybody fucking lives outside. There's, <laughs> you know, like, what does it matter? Nobody has an apartment. London. You're going to love it out there. <laughs> really, it's a great place. Unbelievable. Like, uh, super bullish. Not a big stretch, by the way, from saying you can't vape, you know, in Dolores Park. To say you can't eat a hamburger outside 48 feet from somebody. To, to be, Obviously, to be, it's the same instance. To be clear, I am not moving to San Francisco. Oh, my God. I, yeah. I, I said regional. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm moving someplace where I can see San, San Francisco Jose. from the window <laughs> and the cloud of despair and failure that is rising up from it, slowly growing, growing, but unable to touch me where I am. I Tracy's going to be like, honey, can you close the window? The despair is coming in. <laughs> it's true. I would it's add like a cloud of gloom and broken dreams and bad policy that and, and used heroin needles. Yeah. The Centers for Disease Control uh, in their like 2006, here's how we deal with the pandemic thing. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting document. It's pretty sensible from what I can tell hmm. reading through it. Um, and like, if it's not the number one, it's, you know, top, top three things to do is like, it's really important to communicate honestly hmm. at all time with the public, because if they perceive that you are bending the truth in order to get them to behave in a certain way, they're going to stop believing you. And that's going to be a problem when shit gets bad. And that's how that's, that's a quote when shit gets bad on, on the CDC website. Mm-hmm. And I can't stop thinking about this in terms of California. We talked about on the reason Roundtable uh, podcast and sorry for the, the reason referentials here, but there was cross talk uh, about yeah. the fifth column on that podcast this week as, as well. There, as there should be. As there should be. Yeah. Uh, and I made the the mistake, and I'll, I'll cop to it here, not in my workplace, but like uh, the tweet on our podcast was something like, you know, California has some of the lowest positive test rates every, everywhere. Why are they locking down so much? And so many people are like, ha, 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 you idiot. And I understand. It's my fault. I, I brought that on myself, which is them saying it is because we did that, that right. we have these low test rates. And maybe it is. And let's get back to me in two months. Let's see how that works out. Um but also, let's keep in mind, Michael, you just talked about, like, think uh-huh. of the children. I do think of the children. And I look about, I look at these things from a children-centric, or at least a parenting-centric point of view. I see my kid, my five-year-old, you guys know, um, it's night and day how much her life is better now than it was in the spring. And mm. the difference is that since the summer... She started going to daycare again and interacting with kids again. Mm-hmm. And since the fall, 
regardless of New York going in and out and up and down with their schools, we started a pod, right? That, you know, of other parents. So every day she sees uh, three other kids and interacts with them. And she's just like gone from being a crazy person who had a trajectory towards really bad things. Um, I mean, I'm exaggerating, but like, it was bad. It was an, it was a bad spring uh, to being a healthy, happy kid. And it's amazing. She stole my car. <laughs> she's five. I I literally saw her driving around the block. She and took and the car. She, I heard her say, "It's fun. It's fun to do bad things. Yeah, it's, like it's, drive it to a car." Yeah, I'm not exaggerating when I say the last time she was in this apartment, mm-hmm. she spent 45 minutes stealing all Nancy stuff. Yeah, <laughs> it's not. Yeah. She stole my bank card. Stole the bank card. Did she, did yeah. she use it? Yeah, yeah only she only bought cigarettes. <laughs> just just cigarettes. She's like, I don't live in San Francisco. Fuck this. I'm gonna go smoke she, in somebody's she apartment. She stole cigarettes and then she sold Lucy's on yeah, the streets of New York. She sold Lucy's. She's only five, so her imagination isn't that strong yet. Right. But she's gonna work up to it. Yeah. Um, but no, like the the science of what is happening to kids in California, where right now this day where California is supposed to be nice all year round outdoors. Kids cannot legally play on playgrounds. But there is some movement. I don't know, California, you know that better than I do. I mean, you're from there and you pay close attention to it. But there's some movement, isn't there, on on people starting to understand that there's a different kind of feeling with with uh, or there's a, there's a different sort of epidemiological data on kids. Right. And not high school kids, but kids of, you know, your daughter's age, five years old, six years old. Seven yeah, years the old. normies uh, caught up with uh, us assholes about th- uh, where we were three months ago uh, this this past month. Like there's like, you know, front page stories in the New York Times like, you know, there's an emerging consensus yeah. that uh, elementary school kids don't catch or transmit or suffer from. <laughs> but these teachers' unions are still well-established consensus. Well, yeah. the te- <laughs> but it's interesting to watch them shift on this. Uh, Randy Weingarten, hmm. um, National Teachers Union capo for a long time, is like, yeah, we're surprised by how safe school rooms are. The local uh, uh, heavy here, Michael Mulgrew, I believe hmm. his name is, um, after Bill de Blasio re-shut down the schools in mid-November. For like an afternoon, yeah. But yeah, I mean, he gave an afternoon's notice and then, you know, they were, they were shut down again. And now they're going to open up again next week, which I'm happy about, although it's qualified in many ways they're not worth getting into. But um, there was public outcry and like liberal public outcry uh-huh. too. And so suddenly the teachers union head, for the first time, mm. said, oh yeah, that whole standard of having a 3% um, citywide positive test rate, you know, if you're on yeah, that level, apply. we have to shut down the school. Yeah. Like maybe we should do that like uh, on a, on a, you know, a school or, or district by district basis. Well, you know, liberals hate their kids too. And they, they want them out of the house too. There's a certain point where it's like, I got to get these kids back to school because I can't be around them all the time. I mean, it's not just, but like it, a lot of it's that <laughs> trust me. You know what? It, it, I, I want to believe that cause it's funny. Um, but I'm also sensitive to that because I get, whenever I write or comment about this stuff publicly, I get teachers union people pull, pushing back at me and saying, oh, you know, Matt Welch is just mad because someone else has to look after his or he's he doesn't want to look after his own kid. That's your fucking job, actually, <clears throat> as a teacher. That's your job. I'm sorry, but it's like you're teaching them. Yes, but part of that is looking after them, too. So if you object to somebody handing off their child to be looked after, you object to your own job. There's that's that. like saying you don't want to protect yourself. You're having the police do it. But it's also uh, <laughs> there is that, and and I'm glad that you hit that note strongly, so that I didn't have to. But uh, also that um, kids need to be around kids, 
like Leah's going to turn three. Mm-hmm. Um, she needs to be around other kids um, because that's when they figure stuff out and start mm-hmm. picking maggots out of each other's hair or do whatever mm-hmm. they do. You know, no, my child doesn't have maggots the, in her hair. What the hell that not racist to even suggest yeah, what is that? as much. Yeah. That's disappointing. I mean, about it's very disappointing. Well, kids. Although not surprising uh, considering it's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but Your no, white like supremacy. They, <laughs> they need social interaction. Nice white parent. <laughs> in a way that like was not nearly as obvious to me before. Yeah. Um, it's totally obvious to me now. And like that social interaction doesn't have to be moderated by a public school for fuck's sake. It could, it just needs to be legalized in case I want to do that with other people. All right. Well, you know, it's, I, the only thing I can say is that the British are starting to give people vaccines this week. So that makes me hopeful. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am very impressed by human ingenuity and the, um, I don't know what account I saw the Moderna, I think it was the Moderna, uh, um, vaccine was like developed in like two days. It was yeah. developed in two days. Although yeah. there's there's a whole conversation it. to be had around why it's taken so long to oh, get to where we are. Yeah, now. for sure. I mean, I, I saw a, a really interesting thread about human challenge trials, which I don't necessarily have to have that conversation now because in order for me to be even remotely thoughtful about it, I'd need to do a lot more reading, and I haven't done sufficient amount yet. Mm. So you know, imagine if everyone said that. <laughs> I guess we'd have no Twitter. <laughs> You've been busy. Well, I've been busy, but I also just, I can't read about all of the things simultaneously. And I just, I just saw that. I thought it was interesting and I filed it away for, you know, future learning. And I didn't, I didn't follow it too closely, but at some point, um, uh, Trump in the last few days brought, I think the FDA chief Hmm. into the white house to knock heads about like, why aren't we rolling out the vaccine quicker? And he's right. Mm-hmm. Like, like, why aren't we? Yeah, well, he, well, well, he was like, why are we giving this data before we, the election? We do remember, <laughs> we do remember like in the summertime and actually some months before that as well, Donald Trump would talk about like vaccine progress. And he kept suggesting that around November, like late October, we might start to see a vaccine. We may have a vaccine by then. Granted, in some instances, he was suggesting that it would be widely available. Everyone ha- would have access to this. I mean, weren't there a couple of cases where he said it was going to be like a couple of weeks? What, that he he said it would be a couple yeah, of weeks. Yeah, that there was going to be like yeah, yeah. There, I, I mean, remember some. I, you don't I don't, have I don't a remember that, but I don't, I don't doubt. I don't doubt <laughs> about that. But I do know. I do. Be done by Easter. I do distinctly <laughs> remember him talking about it and suggesting that it would be around the time of the election. And people saying he's saying this without evidence. Turns out he was in fact right about that. You can give him a little bit of credit. You're you're absolutely not wrong about that at all, right? Publicly like, uh, saying a thing that he was probably talking to people about in terms of them establishing timetables for what was happening, and if it was developed in roughly two days, they had a sense of what was going on and the schedule that they were using to try and figure out whether or not he, this thing was he, working. He's a monkey throwing at a dartboard. Yeah. He there's, got he got lost. This <laughs> fable called the boy who cried wolf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah I literally don't believe they had any knowledge that yeah. actually drew, drove to that conclusion. It was just yeah. a guesswork. Yeah. That, that's um, again. Um, just acknowledging one thing. It is not as though this isn't the man who, during the debates, suggested. You know, I saved like two million people because the original predictions were like 2.5 million people would die and only 250,000 died. So that means I did the right thing, right? Well, no, that's bullshit. Yeah, the projections the side, were inflated. Blaming him for every death too. <laughs> yes. It's like yeah. he killed 250,000 people. It's, it's like you're all it's politics. psychotic. That's how it works. That's why, so. that's why we know all right. that we're in a great place because everyone cares about it so much right now. Um, speaking of which, uh, Barack Obama back on the scene, He's as is his daughter apparently who has a TikTok video that a lot of people mm-hmm. have watched. Weird. A lot of people who, a lot of people think who? that's interesting. Not me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think she's 
She's fine. A little girl. <laughs> a little girl. I'm not interested in how, how old is she? Children. I don't know. What's your name? I don't even know how TikTok is that works. Malia? That, Here, that doesn't quickly, make sense to me. It's not interesting to me. Mark, mark the time and then like Google her age. <laughs> <laughs> do, it, do it right now. Do it right She's now. over 18. Uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, no, that's Malia. She's Sasha. I don't know. Who these She's 19. Are. It's fine. Yeah. I told you. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. fine. We're not Epsteining at this point. No, I just, there's a TikTok video. She had acrylic nails. She looked pretty, she looked great. And uh, she looked like she's having fun. By the way, the the responses again, it's just like, I don't live on Twitter, but I was was having such a nice week and (laughs) I had to drive today. And I was like, I feel like, and there was like a, there were like squirrels in my house. Yeah. Literally there were squirrels. (laughs) There's squirrels in the, lying on me. In the attic or like in the house? No, they're going to try to get in the house. Yeah. But they're I, in you the know, rafters. I had a squirrel in my house. They came in, like fell through one of those ports in the ceiling. It fell through, yeah, like Mission yeah. Impossible. Like, destroyed my destroyed my daughter's crib. Urinated all sorts all, over all sorts of things. <laughs> yeah, he what? destroyed things on all three That's levels. That's like of Robert Downey Jr.'s squirrel. Gets in your daughter's time. bed and pisses. It's really in it? bad. Yeah. Fortunately, she wasn't there. Wow. Good. I imagine yeah. Robert Downey Jr. is polite yeah. enough to say, "Hey." What would the, you like a yeah, would you like yeah, a golden shower? Yeah, oh my I am god. So you can't happy say that on the radio? That. Are we on the radio? <laughs> no, it's fine. That's um uh, yeah, I got a squirrel up there and um so let's <laughs> put some traps for it today. It's gonna be good. And humane, way, humane traps. Yeah, well yeah, actually yeah. the guy was like he looked like he's killed people. Yeah. But he was like he was like we, we all we do is we'd take them like twenty miles away. I'm like, you know fucking twenty miles away. Yeah, no, they'll you come right back. You have to like back. release them into like a different county no, or no, something. They'll come they'll come right back. No, I yeah. think he means 20 miles into the Long Island Sound. <laughs> yeah, well I, well, I hope he's going to shoot it out of one of those T-shirt guns into the fucking Long Island Sound. But I was like sitting there like, I don't care. I, it was like, you know, we take them far away. And I'm like, you're looking at me thinking I'm like one of these like PETA types because I don't look like you. And I'm like, you literally could go outside and fucking slit its throat. I don't care. I do not care. Just, I don't want it. I heard it above the bed. And now Camille's making me paranoid. It's going to fall through the drywall. That's a thing that could happen. So was it in the house? It was in the house. But did we, you see it in the we house? We were on vacation. We saw it because the we camera. had those like Arlo camera. cameras all over the house before. And yeah, we saw there was motion detected. We still have the video. We still have the footage of this squirrel running roughshod around. Yeah, the house, a good look at all over stuff. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. like slow motion, playing like chariots of fire. Or something <laughs> like that. I'm not into that sort of thing. Again, I don't know. I don't Ow. even know what TikTok is. But I, I brought Obama up not so that we could talk about his his daughter who's Why not? fine, um, but because fine. he said some things that got a few people, looks great on few that, people agitated. Yeah. Got a few people. <laughs> I'm, I'm reminded of Barack Obama <laughs> suggesting that certain slogans may, in fact, jeopardize people's political prospects. Mm-hmm. Uh, specifically, seem to be referring to defund the police and abolish the police, and suggested that these uh, catchy slogans are something that folks should probably do away with. Uh, there have been some forceful responses from some corners, members of the squad, who've suggested that they're being unfairly targeted. Uh, I remember actually some weeks back, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez uh, tweeting something along the lines of, you know, Martin Luther King wasn't popular either during his own time. Many of his ideas weren't popular. The fact that what we are advocating for in some instance may not be polling very well is not an indication oh, that we're God. wrong or that we shouldn't be fighting for these things. There are also bad ideas in 1968 that are still bad ideas. I, I, yeah. Right. Yeah. There's a universe. So, there's a universe of things that won't poll well, which yeah. is probably not an indication that they're the right things to be fighting. for. Yeah. Um, but in this particular case, defund the police um, is something that I think we've talked about 
in a few instances. And I, I thought, I mean, we, in some respects, we've had this conversation a number of times, but I'm all too but happy up, to update like us bring, in this sense, Camille, because I know bring you us sent- back to this because there was this piece I saw today in the Star Tribune about Minneapolis and the rather astonishing data points about like the, the trends in their crime statistics, mm-hmm. breaking new records for things like violent carjackings, which I have to I have to look again because I'm getting it's ready to say the number and I don't believe it. 537% increase in violent carjackings. Did you see the video? From, no, I haven't seen the video. Oh, there, was a video there was a video with the Star Tribune uh, that was captured by neighbor's security camera. Yeah. Just literally it's a car described, It's, it's like described in the article. Yeah. It's nuts. Yeah. I mean, moms who are pleading with gangs of young men, because young men tend to perpetrate most violent crime. It's whatever. Yeah. But it's not just violent carjackings. This is a city that has logged nearly 500 shootings in the year 2020. They haven't seen rates of violence like this in more than a decade. These are the highest numbers they've seen in 15 years. It's uh, an astonishing accomplishment. Catch us up to what the actual policy change was in Minneapolis, if you recall from the article. Well, this is just it. The policy change was they had voted to actually follow through with this ab- abolition of their police department, but they hadn't figured out how they were going to proceed with doing this. I don't even know that they got around to, to formally taking away any money. What they managed to do was completely pollute the relationship between the police department and lawmakers and the citizenry. And when I say they, I'm not blaming anyone in particular. I'm just saying the relationship went to complete dog shit. Many law enforcement officers were catching the blue flu. There was a policy that was actually instituted in order to, as a budgetary saving measure. And consider the circumstances. This is a city that like most cities in America has been decimated by COVID. Their budgets have been decimated. And in order to save money, they create this program allowing folks to opt for an early retirement. But you can't exclude law enforcement officers from this program. And what do you suspect happened? It's critical to acknowledge the complexity, right? There there have been and are legitimate complaints about policing in the United States. There's also what has become predominant, uh, a hysteria unmoored from reality, not interested in facts, leads with supposition. And it is occasionally going to lead to some results where you get some reforms that are things that people have been advocating for for a long time. And that's great. Uh, In other cases, all you manage to do is poison the well. And you poison the well in such a way that law enforcement officers who don't feel empowered, who have a very legitimate job to do in terms of confronting people who are destroying property. They watched their police department be burned to the ground. They didn't and continue to not feel as though they have the support of much of their community. I won't say most. Don't feel they have the support of local lawmakers. I mean, that's a real thing. That's tangible. It's complicated. There are lots of things going on here, but it's scrutable. And now this police department is dramatically understaffed and in the midst of an extraordinary spike in crime. And the citizenry is suffering in profound ways, not just the black community, the whole of the city. Um, And it's 
it's devastating. The piece in the um, in the Tribune is actually worth finding uh, if you can. The title of it is "Staggering Surge in Violent Carjacking Continues Across Minneapolis." It doesn't attempt to make a direct connection between defund the police policies and what's happening now. It is essentially just uh, a a breakdown of the carnage that is taking place in this city and the genuine human suffering that exists there. And I mean, the, the takeaway here is that the entire circumstance has been completely politicized, that the outcome is very, very bad for citizens. And the, I think there is a good, a good question to be asked with respect to whether or not to fund the police is a good policy um, and whether or not it's working. But when I ask, is it working? The question isn't whether or not you're actually taking money away from these police departments. It's whether or not these communities are getting safer. Because it, it, defund yeah. the police and then fucking what? There's a facile response to this. And, and, and it's like, well, they haven't been defunded yet. So obviously that's not what's happening. Right. I mean, that's a really silly way of thinking. Absolutely. And it shows you that these people don't think too much about it. And they think in a very ideological way. The other version of that is if they have the blue flu, you know, w- w- you know that's their response to being being scrutinized as they have to walk away from policing. That's why it's like, well, no, I mean, that's also a a silly way of looking at these things because I noticed in a couple of neighborhoods uh, in, in New York that after the George Floyd stuff, after the protests, after this stuff was really kind of gripping the city. And of course it ultimately fades out. I mean, this is a time when, you know, walk by the Apple store in Williamsburg and somebody, you know, crowd marching down, it smashed all the windows. Well, I'm glad they did that because, you know, the world has become so much better because of it. I mean, I don't understand half of these things, but I noticed after that, I, 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 it's undeniable that if you're in like a, a kind of crime ridden neighborhood, people, and I made this joke before, was that people aren't afraid of the police. Mm-hmm. It's the opposite. You know, they were like, literally, we run the streets now. Mm-hmm. And I saw it everywhere. People were just like, you know, the fireworks shit. Like that, it wasn't just annoying for people in the neighborhood. It was annoying for people in the neighborhood. Yeah. But that was, that was a, a thing to like show we like, fuck you. And we are going to do this all night. We're running the show here. And if you went into like the corner of Bed-Stuy, Stuyvesant Heights, towards Brownsville, towards East New York, it was markedly different because people were just out on the streets, like in, in a different way. Mm-hmm. And crime was, was going up and cops were pulling back. And by the way, they're not being defunded, but what is the ricochet and the, the knock-on effect of all of this, pu- not public scrutiny, because public scrutiny is good. Mm-hmm. We like public scrutiny. Mm-hmm. But this opprobrium, this completely irrational opprobrium, there's good opprobrium and there's bad opprobrium. And they get to this point where it was just like, defund the police, you know, um, all cops are bastards, which I saw everywhere, this kind of stuff, spray painted in my neighborhood. There's a point at which there are people in precincts saying, you got to back off. Because we, this is a tinderbox. And what a tinderbox is uh, essentially amounts to allow people to act in a shitty way, uh, not allow crimes to happen in a big way, but it's like the opposite of broken windows. Allow the windows to be broken. Like, let's, let's back up a little bit because we don't want to, you know, flick a match onto this and, and let it go. And the second that happens and everyone's like, well, they haven't been defunded yet. It's like, are you really that simple-minded? that you don't understand the dynamics of policing changed pretty immediately. And it wasn't because like, oh, we can no longer kill innocent people. And we really enjoyed doing that before. It's because the reaction to it, particularly from politicians in cities like Minneapolis and in, you know, New York City in particular, 
was you didn't want to be a cop right then, right? I mean, the number of people that were quitting the force, they weren't quitting the force, you dummies, because they couldn't beat up people with impunity anymore. That's not why people were leaving the force. Ask people who were leaving the force, because I've talked to a few of them, and it's not like, look, the calculation is this, and everyone who I know, you know, you take the you know, squad people and the, the sort of areas of that movement who are massively defund the police type people. And you say, you know, you talk a lot about the working class, which, you know, I, I'm, I'm happy you bartended, you know, great. Um, what are you doing for them besides saying you shouldn't have those Amazon jobs in Queens? Cause I don't want you to have them because those are bad. You should, you should be the CEO of a company. Right. And that's the only thing we're going to accept. But these are working class jobs for working class people. They're not very well paid and they're super dangerous. And the added thing to that is your life is in danger. If you're patrolling in Brownsville, I came into the city today. This is true. Came into the city today from the bucolic squirrel infested hellhole that I'm living in. And I parked the car <laughs> nice. and, 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 and citizen went off that there had been a shooting a block away. Literally as I was, I was double parking the car uh, uh, in Brooklyn and double parking the car is a shooting a couple blocks away. And I saw cops and I said, last time I said, I think I mentioned this to Patreon. There was a shooting. They cleared the scene. Then there was another shooting in the same block an hour later, an hour and a half later. It was like a revenge shooting. If you are in that situation, you're a cop on that block. It's not that you don't get paid well only or that, you know, people don't respect you or it's dangerous. You might actually have to use a gun because a lot of other people have guns and you might go to prison for the rest of your life if there's some sort of contested thing. And you also don't want to be in a situation where you're like, I don't have the time to think about like, you know what? Like, look, there was the thing in D.C. Guy is they have a protest. They have people getting killed afterwards and people breaking things and everything because of a guy got shot. The video comes out and the cop who shot him. The guy had a gun and pointed the gun at him and the guy shot him. And there was a protest about that. <clears throat> Do you want to be a cop at this point? I mean, it's, I don't know why you would. Because it's, you know, it's, it's really no one's on your side in, in, in the media writ large. And I would, you know, certain, I would say certain elements of the media and certain elements of the big city political class. I, I want to make a comment about the... Uh, this is Nancy Roman, by Nancy the way. Roman. Hello. Um, about uh, last time I was, uh, last time we were doing the podcast and I was trying to remember the name of this particular um, part of the Portland Police Bureau that was defunded. Um, and it is called the Gun, gun Reduction gun violence reduction team. And um, I was reading a little more about it because I kind of misquoted it last time. And basically in 2018, the city council did want to kind of take some money away because they felt that they were, this particular group was concentrating on gang violence, which is black violence in Portland, black and maybe Latino too. So this past summer, they did take away $12 million and they took it away, took away the $12 million and said, well, we're going to redirect this money into community of colors to make things better. So, you know, yes, the situation in Portland has what been... What could go wrong? Well, here's, here's my issue with it. I, as I, I was actually writing about this today, on, I was tweeting about it a bit, and I was like, look, I'm completely willing to get a better snow tire. But in the meantime, before you give me those better snow tires, I'm going to use the snow tires I have. So you've taken this money away and saying we're going to put it into, you know, 
mental health stuff and we're going to have nurses come out and we're going to do that. And that's fine, but you don't have that in place yet. And it's an idea and you haven't tested it in all the billions of things that can go wrong. So just like you're talking about the murders in Minneapolis, the murders in Portland skyrocketed. And yes, it might be a function of this summer and the crazy season of, of protest, but you've taken money away from police. And when you're talking about police being dejected, I mean, I've seen it. You know, when you have people running up in their face saying, kill yourself, kill yourself, quit your job. Well, people are quitting their jobs and they're not applying to be in the department and they are taking early retirement. So, you now have a very underappreciated and, you know, obviously that can be contested. People are like, why should I pre- appreciate the police? Well, you kind of should. And I was interviewing someone that said, look, I'm in Old Town. I, I work there. I have a business there and I've got people shooting up, having fistfights, shitting in my doorway. The people that I rely on now to come and help me are the police. If you want to set up different things and social workers are going to do a better job, they're great, but that doesn't exist now. Okay. So you're not helping when you take money away from the people that are doing the job and now they can't do the job for us. Well, it's an austerity policy, right? Like all you're doing is just starving this thing right. of, of money. That, that's at least all that's being prescribed. And I think it's well, a shifting it's, of money. Austerity yeah, would be well, cutting. Well, yeah. well, it, it is a shifting of money theoretically, but for the most part, the rallying cry is to fund the police. The, the, whatever yeah. else is coming, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the yeah. principal thing you tell me you want to do and is take the money away from these people. It's not defund the police, it's refund abolish, the taxpayer. Or abolish the police yeah. in and, some instances. But I do want to underscore that... I mean, we're talking about these sort of specialized units, which in many instances, like we've seen corruption in those very sure. units, units, we've seen um, increased rates of, you know, uh, abuse, uh, shootings that tend to happen amongst those groups. Many instances, because they're um, policing in much more dangerous neighborhoods, one might expect that these things happen. But in other cases, there's just a lack of accountability, I don't know that you actually get to accountability by just taking no. money away from okay. these things as, as opposed about, to sort of focusing I've on those problems in a narrow and serious way. And these people and, you know, yeah. people that are really doing this right now, you have something when you're talking about defund the police, which you can also translate it in another way to be kill yourself, policeman or policewoman. Mm-hmm. Um, it is all emotionally fueled this summer and everybody jumps onto it and we're going to get rid of it. Like, OK, what are you going to do? How are you going to actually fix this? When I talked to the 35-year-old guy who's setting up something across from the park where the feds, have, you know, they're having the show up. And I was like, well, how are you going to fix it when someone's house is getting broken into? Well, we'll send a nurse. Well, it, which is a, a terrible idea a lot of times because, you know, you know sometimes you need police that can yes. defend themselves and are strong and have guns. Because, you know, we've seen examples of this. Of There was one story in the Washington Post where they were you know, talking about transitioning to mental health people and a cop went over, somebody's having a mental health episode and uh, the guy pulled a gun on him and you don't want the person to, you know, it's good that he pulls up a gun on a cop and not on a nurse. But I think that I'm trying to think of what the conservative analog here is. And I think the conservative analog is probably the military. Hmm. And the military is like, you know, we have a problem in the Middle East. Let's throw the military at it. And we'll see what happens. Like no one thought through, myself included, no one thought through down the road with Iraq. No one thought any of this stuff through. It's like, we love the military. We're just going to do the military. Military is great, et cetera, et cetera. It's changed a bit in conservative circles. The other version of that on the other side of the aisle is money. Mm -hmm. In the sense when everyone says this, they say it constantly. We'll put money into underprivileged communities. Yeah. You know we've been doing this for hundreds of years, right? You know the great society existed, right? And, And maybe you can look at those programs and say, a lot of mistakes were made. Yeah, fuck yeah, absolutely. But there are so many versions of this. 
that we that we have seen over the years, Democratic presidents, even Republican presidents who have put money, quote unquote, into underserved communities. What does that do? Because we've seen in a lot of places the results actually getting worse. And, you know, if somebody with some specificity wants to say that, but every dope I talk to who's like, you know, somebody who's not really interested in this stuff, but they've put the Instagram post up and they put the black square and all this stuff and they say defund the police is not exactly what we mean again million times I have to say this, you're really bad at branding, do something else, call it something else if that's not what you mean. But no, we want to take that money and put it into the community. The next time somebody says we need to put the money back into the community, literally slap them in the face because it's totally fucking meaningless at this point. The last time, last thing I'll say about this is we're talking with this friend of mine in Old Town and she's saying like, I need the cops to come sometimes when these things are happening. And people are like, well, you have to put it into community. Someone pointed out that in this literally like eight square block area of Old Town, there are 15 social service things, whether it's, you know, uh, food pantries or places for rehabilitation. It's like there are plenty of those things there just taking money away from the police and thinking you're going to create this other arm that's going to fix it, that doesn't work. Or if you can make it work, that's great. But you got to put some actual thought into it, not just your like this summer's animus. It's, they're, the they're, and a lot of those things are well-intentioned and a lot of them do a lot of good, but a lot of them are also pain pills for cancer. You need chemo. The pain pills might make you feel better temporarily, but there's an underlying problem that is not served by these things that are oftentimes very necessary, whether they're shelters or places that people can go for medical care, et cetera. But there's a bigger, bigger issue there that is not going to be solved by someone just saying, let's write a check with a number of zeros on it. What is, where is it going to go? What's it going to do? And I don't want to sound like Camille Foster here, uh, but. I sound totally heartless tonight. I'm sorry. No, actually, you (laughs) you sound like you have a lot of compassion for people who lived in communities that are currently overwhelmed by surges in violent crime. And who are being served in some instances directly by policymakers who ostensibly are supposed to be there looking out for them and have pursued policies that have actively made their lives worse. And at a minimum, have helped to cultivate a political environment that is actively making their lives worse. And perhaps even some of the people who live in these neighborhoods have bought in to a worldview wherein they've said things like, you know what we're going to do? burn down the fucking police station because we're fighting for our lives. Like I I've gone and looked at like the more number, so now the number of people <laughs> killed by police or in police custody in Minnesota since the year 2000 and black people. I think the number is 50. Like it's, but it's, <laughs> but it's not, <laughs> you know? And I, I think earlier I said 500 <laughs> murders. It's, it's 500 shootings that have taken place. The number of murders is somewhat less than that, but I can tell you what it is certainly more than. It is more than the number of people shot or killed in connection with interactions with police in the last two decades. That seems relevant. And it's not just there. I mean, nationwide, um, I think the number is something like 37% more murder shooting like roughly around there it's at least a third up this year it's the biggest spike that we've seen and you're using the word spike right i mean it's i mean if you look at the 90s right and everyone was was giving giuliani credit for something that was happening all over america which was crime is going down right and it was prior to giuliani prior to giuliani and dinkins yeah and like you know um but it's going down and you see those numbers and you watch it tick 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 
uh, we're not seeing the tick, 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 tick up. I mean, there's been a, like, when you see an increase that's 530%, that's like, oh, I would understand more if, like, the, the, everything's kind of unraveling, or in the case of the 1990s, everything was slowly being put back together um, after the crack epidemic, which I think is the wrong word, epidemic, but, Mm -hmm. you know, crack and gang violence stuff, and that starts petering out, and... You know, then again, of course, the credit is people who run away from this now, Democrats who who championed their their championing of the crime bill. They're tough on crime policy. Well, yeah, tough I mean, on crime policies. But we, without yeah. disappearing into it, like mm. the causes and effects of why crime the went great up crime all decline. over the entire planet. You mean down? Why crime went down? Right? Went up yeah. first oh, and okay. then down. Yes. Well, yeah. Both of those things okay, are yeah. still mysteries. Mm-hmm. Like it went up everywhere in the world between 1960 and 1990. Mm-hmm. And then it went down everywhere in the world between 1990 and 2020. Yeah. And now like it might be going up again. And, well, and when you say we don't know, I mean, we, we literally do not know. Yeah. Like, this is a mystery amongst social scientists and criminologists. The thing that is hotly debated. Yeah. In some cases people say it's lead paint. Um, and it went down because of abortion. <laughs> That's thing. another. That is yeah. a thing that was posited in free economics. I want to make yeah. one very minor point. Um, I'm sure that I it's think... a major point, Matt Welch. I <laughs> believe in you. If it's not, you're Perhaps. fucking fired. <laughs> but like the reinvest money into the community thing, which you hear a thousand times. Uh-huh. This is just like Camille texting me and Michael, like Uh-oh. you know, every Black Lives Matter poster that he walks around, and I'm like, well, oh, come on, again, occasionally. Camille. Sorry, um, but like Camille has a point, and. Uh, of like there there are, are moments of like orthodox speech or habit all the time that do not get questioned and it might not be worth all of us questioning every single usage of every single time um, however reinvest money in the community let's think about what that means on a global scale for 60 seconds which is that it's like if we just send foreign aid into this mm-hmm. to Turk Shittistan or some African hellhole, that is going to be the thing that helps. Mm-hmm. And what have we learned in the past 30 years where we've never seen such a global reduction in extreme poverty in the world? Talk to, I don't know, Bono. What, <laughs> what does Bono say about this? Someone who like bored us for so long about these questions. He said, I used to think it was foreign aid. Mm-hmm. And now I have to acknowledge that it's allowing people to buy and sell their own goods. It's mm. allowing the them to trade, right? Yeah. It's not about reinvesting uh-huh. in the community of Gabon or whatever the fuck country you're talking about. It's about basically um, having them not have civil wars or like, you know, uh, third world proxy wars and allowing them um, to integrate with the global trading community and hopefully don't have a locally shitty government themselves that is the single best thing by mm-hmm. far to eradicate pot- poverty the un says the same thing tony blair everyone says the same thing it's not about like taking this pot of money and sprinkling it magically in this community and then the flowers come up that sounds not but it sounds appealing shit it sounds, sounds appealing. appealing it does and i think that that if <laughs> you to want understand. to read about what that means in a global scale, Dumbiso Moyo's book on this dead aid is very good. And I think she's from Zambia and, uh, you know, wrote a book about why like kleptocrats dig in their heels when they get uh, foreign aid because of the graft and corruption that it actually encourages and creates. 
And that is on a local level, on a national and international level. So, you know, it is, I mean, it sounds good and sometimes it is good. And that's, that's undeniable that there is, you know, when you target stuff, it is good. But I just, I don't get the sense that anyone is really thinking this stuff through because they do believe that their ideological kind of instincts allow them to believe that money is often the solution and that there's kind of mean mustache twisting people who petting cats and saying, no, 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 keep money from the poor people. It's not that I think. And oftentimes people have like Bono, this sort of, I mean, say like Bono is a hilarious thing to say in a sentence, uh, have real world experience with this stuff that, that it doesn't magically do that. And particularly when you, you know, on the violence thing and the spike of violence in the sixties in particular, is it look, I mean, that's, you know, there's an enormous amount of debate about this. But I worry that we're in a similar moment, Mm -hmm. not only because of the defund the police stuff. I think that's, you know, approximate cause to some stuff, but not the whole thing, obviously. Mm -hmm. But I think that, you know, the 60s, you see an enormous, enormous, you know, disorienting cultural change that happens. There's the you know World War Two ends and then there's that kind of weird kind of fake bucolic period in the the 50s. Uh, Not for everybody. You have to always point that out. And then the (laughs) 60s happen and, you know, the world becomes a lot more revolutionary and a lot more violent. And, uh, you know, obviously Steven Pinker's idea of declining violence is yes, that's true. That's true. But the type of violence and the fact that where we saw it, mm-hmm. how visual it was all of a sudden that, you know, the sons and daughters of the elites in this country were blowing things up and blowing up their own apartments on West 11th street when trying to make bombs to, you know, you know, bomb the Pentagon where the hell they were trying to do. But there is a moment and I, it feels Similar to that in a lot of Absolutely. ways. And I'm just guessing what it felt like because I wasn't alive then. Yeah. But there is this kind of revolutionary fervor, yeah. which is taking a different kind of thing. I mean, we're not going to have urban guerrillas. It's not going to be Bader Meinhof. It's not going to be the weathermen. But there's mm. kind of <laughs> elements of it that, that you see is the normalization of radical politics that we didn't see before. Well, Moynihan, you say it's not going to take those forms. I, I'm, I don't know that it will, that it will um, but I, I certainly... It's hard not to think about what the city looked like at the end of October, like when I was getting ready to leave for a couple of weeks, because as I told you guys multiple times, and I probably said on the podcast, like I didn't really want to be in the city around the time of the election because I was deeply concerned about how things might go. Um, And I'd felt that way many months before. Then you started to hear reports about it, and then you started to see the boards going up like all over cities, not Places then, that, like, that not where the militias are, but you know the cities, super, super safe cities that had in many By cases long. seen like actual <laughs> <True>. demonstrations <laughs> that were pretty substantial. In some instances, you saw mostly peaceful protests that sometimes descended into something else altogether. And I don't think it's very difficult for anyone to imagine that if the outcome of the election had been different, that certain cities might have seen a great deal more disruption, and that trying to quell that maybe months into next year, you're seeing sort of pockets of resistance and awfulness. This, one one I, can't I think, know, but I, I, I would like to agree with you. But, you but it just, it, it just seems to me that, that I'm violently agreeing with you Moynihan and going a bit further perhaps and saying that I, in the, to the extent it makes you nervous, it makes me nervous too. And it's because I, I'm not certain that we're sort of out of the woods with respect to some of those things. I mean, e- even as we look at the, the early days of the coalition that helped bring Joe Biden to power, presumably, 
right? Because there's still some chance. There's a chance, uh, presumably. But the, but the early that days of this coalition, it's, it's, the, it's the Obama, Biden, Democrats, and the Ocasio-Cortez, um, sort of Sanders wing of the party. It's the never-Trump conservatives who apparently are pretty much out on the ear at this point and certainly didn't gain any power as a result of helping to get this guy into mm-hmm. office. Well, getting rich is nice. It's good if it works out for you. But it, it's not obvious that they'll necessarily be able to keep things together the, if the the outcome of one of these high-profile prosecutions related to one of these important shootings that or deaths that happened uh, earlier in the year isn't what a lot of people expect it to be. Like, what happens then? Is Joe Biden <laughs> able to quell concern around yeah, well, those see, things? Here's the thing, is that obviously making predictions like this and, you know, myself making these predictions, it's just a, a mugs game. Ever to, yeah. Because, you know, it, who knows? And, and, and I really yeah, didn't even mean to take the conversation in this direction. Yeah, yeah, no, but I'm I think, but sure I, no, I, I, think it's important, I think it's important in a couple of senses is that the, the vote I would make against what I was saying would be that, you know, if, if Donald Trump won a second term, mm-hmm. uh, would be in a very different place mm-hmm. because you don't have to hang around long enough to hear someone, you know, just within earshot talking as if they are members of the white rose in Nazi Germany, mm-hmm. that they're the Sophie Scholes of, you know, Bushwick. It's like, no, you don't live in that country, but you think you do. Right. Mm-hmm. And so when you do think that you're in that country, it's like, we've, you know, I, you know, when, when you call everyone a Nazi and then you say, it's okay to punch Nazis, you start punching everybody. Right. And that's kind of terrifying to me that, that we were in a place we're getting towards even further to his place. I think if, if, if he won a second term, we'd definitely be there is that this country is irredeemable now. Mm-hmm. We have two terms of a psychopathic white nationalist, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that we've cut that off in some sense because Joe Biden's election elected, and I can hear people disagreeing with me already. Uh, listeners. I know the emails that I'm going to get for this, but you know, when you say, well, Joe Biden is a kind of moderate. I heard this today on the Washington post podcast. They were laughing and laughing and laughing and laughing it up. But can you believe everybody called Joe Biden a socialist? Yeah, yeah, no, it's dumb. He's not a socialist. It's really stupid. Um, like in South Florida, that's what they were doing. They were convincing people that he was a socialist and that's why Cubans, because, you know, Cubans had never voted for Republicans prior to this election. So yeah, that's how they were convinced. Right. But it's not, that's not really what you have to stop treating people like they're idiots. They hear this socialism thing and they're like, Oh my God, they're all socialists. No, they listen to Spanish language radio. They listen to the news. They listen to some crazy shit, but they all watch Telemundo too. And they can read the Miami Herald. What they're worried about, I think, and there's a couple of, and I can't say this is representative. A couple of people I talked to indicated this to me is not that Joe Biden is a socialist, but that he is going to give sucker to socialists, right? right? And that this is the way the party is, is, you know, the direction it's going. Yeah, he might take Tony Blinken, they might do this, that, and there. But, you know, Janet Yellen, who's in front of, you know, her first press conference and talking about what she can do to fight racism and sexism and gender discrimination and pay disparities and all this stuff. I'm like, wait, what? How do you think you're going to do this? And it's like the lip service this this stuff is going to be given now, I think is going to be radically different than it was during the Obama years. I mean, Obama is effectively a more liberal version of a Clinton Democrat. The machine politics operated the same way, a lot of the same characters. And it's a lot of that's happening again, because it's the same, you know, you hire your friends, right? And those are the people coming in that have a lot of government experience in previous Biden-affiliated, Clinton-affiliated campaigns, administrations, et cetera. 
but there is a different kind of patina to it now. It's like, okay, these people are powerful. The AOCs of the world, the squads of the world. I think we radically overestimate their, their power. They're very good at social media and they're very good at, at like, you know, getting Stephen Colbert to, to get excited. But um, are the American people with them? I'm not so sure, but I do believe that this moment is definitely going to be one. And, you know, mark my words in this one. This is going to be an administration that is going to talk in that way mm -hmm. that corporations talk now, that ad campaigns talk now. And they're already doing it. Absolutely. They're, already, they're already doing it. Yeah. And it's, they haven't even gotten into office. And it's just like yeah. whether or not they follow through in any of that stuff mm -hmm. is one thing. Whether or not when they do follow through that that is effective in mm -hmm. any it never usually is um, on a lot of these policies. But that is sort of psychologically where we're going. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's not the greatest thing for the yeah. country. Right I think that a, a longer conversation about the equality equity pivot is, is warranted. I mean, since, since we've opened the door to, we should get somebody who actually knows what they're about, talking about on to talk about that. Well, I know as a little bit to about it too. No, but, I know, but like somebody who's like, that's their job. No, it's just true. It's true. I, I would like to, and I'd actually like to talk to some of the people who I'm just full of perhaps shit. might, well, have some ideas that are likely to be influential in the next administration. But given the fact that we've devoted some attention to a lot of the perils on the left, it's worth acknowledging what's actively happening right now on the right. Oh my um, God. The fact that Crazy Mike time. Flynn, <laughs> Mike Flynn uh, and Lynn Wood, two men who are closely associated with Donald Trump have in recent days retweeted a, a group who is encouraging the president of the United States. And people have been encouraging the president to do a lot of things in recent days. Sean Hannity and others have encouraged him to pardon himself preemptively, <laughs> I guess, and his children against, I don't know what crime in particular, but all of but them for fear. Yeah, probably not. Tiffany. Yeah. Not Tiffany. Flip some coins. No, yeah. no, no pardon for her. Whatever she did, <laughs> she's going down for he it. He does not like her. No, I mean, come on. <laughs> um, but, but, but they were encouraging him to declare martial law. And insist on it was like a, soft martial law. a new <laughs> election because the previous election that we Crazy. just had was obviously corrupt. And there was this event that took place in Georgia where Lynn is on stage um, and he's joined by a number of people, including C.J. Pearson, who's this young conservative kid who I, man, I guess he's probably 18 years old now. Um, I've talked to him at least once in the past, many, many moons ago. Um, and I've reached out to him recently because, I mean, he's on stage and he was apparently the person in one of these cases that has been brought forth uh, to try and overturn the election. Um, so I'm interested in knowing what his perspective is. CJ gave a very fiery speech saying that this is no longer the party of John McCain, et cetera, et cetera. This is now the party of Donald Trump and we are not afraid and we are going to stop the steal and we are going to maintain our majority in the Senate um, and we're also going to ensure that Donald Trump gets another four years right now. So the crooked Georgia election will then decide the Senate for the Republicans and then they'll believe that the system's no longer crooked. I don't know, <laughs> but it's it's just it's a rather bizarre circumstance. I mean, the, the, the part of the concern there is that there are people who are, in fact, receiving death threats who are government officials who are people who work for the companies that service the election machines, who the voting machines, the election Republicans machines. What the fuck? Who oversee elections in a way that Republicans who have been talking about the horror of voter fraud 
have been holding up as ideal people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for the mm-hmm. last 10, who have been the single biggest targets of Democrats who say Republicans are suppressing our votes. They've been targeting, in particular, Brian Kemp, governor of Georgia, um, and the whole Georgian apparatus. Those are the people now uh, who are being accused of being part of a conspiracy, bipartisan, mm-hmm. uh, like multinational conspiracy <laughs> multinational, out there. Yeah, yeah. And it's <laughs> it's fucking bananas. It's and bananas. The the like it's we're all you know we want to pay attention to other things mm-hmm. because it's more fun, interesting, profitable, less sad, um, and we have lives. Um, but it is worth yeah, yeah. setting aside a, a half a moment, and thank you for providing it, um, of like, it's fucking banana. Lin- it's Lin- a disgrace. It's an actual disgrace. Lin- Linwood's, yeah. Linwood's retweet of this call for martial law says, good morning, period. Nice way to start. Yeah. Yeah. Our country is headed to civil war. Nope. A no, war created by third party bad actors for their benefit. Nope. Not we the people. The use of this phrase is so fucking annoying. Yeah. Yeah. Third party um, though. Communist China is leading this nefarious yes. effort okay. to take away our mm-hmm. freedom. Real Donald Trump should declare martial law. He shouldn't. No. That is very bad. No. That would be a bad call. He shouldn't. He <laughs> probably can't. No. Um, <laughs> who are the third parties? Which one? Is it the Constitution Party? I, I, he doesn't is know what the fuck he's talking about. Peace and freedom? Wait, Wait the like third party enough? is going to be... I don't be... think he's actually referring to a third yeah, party. Just, But who knows what he's talking about? But like, so in that same press conference, uh, Lynn Wood... Which I mean, it's a name of a city in Southern California. <laughs> it's Linwood with a Y. Um, and what's her fuck? Who's been like polluting everybody's airwaves for a long time um, and saying the most asinine, crazy? Like literally, I don't know if one of you saw this. Like she went uh, as recently as Saturday, Sydney on, Powell. Sydney Powell, yeah. thank you, on Newsmax, and said not only are the Republicans in on it, and obviously the mm-hmm. you know the Republicans who run Georgia. Um, but like this is part of a CIA ops mm-hmm. yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Is, is what we're doing. So today, uh, again, as we're talking and it's a Wednesday, um, they just, said just it's about time for uh, to, for George Soros to go back to his own country. He oh. was naturalized as a United States citizen in 1961. 50 odd years ago. Yeah. Yeah. 1960. D one. Yeah. Um, this, but, but, but this, this is enough evidence back in the day, bef- days before deinstitutionalization, of getting somebody committed. I yeah, mean, this actually, is these are these are these are people that appear to me to be mentally ill. But but the but the event. I want to be sure to underscore this too. There were multiple speakers that came up on stage. <laughs> yes, there were, and it was it was pretty incoherent. Like one speaker would be there, and it was Why do very you sound surprised. Well, <laughs> I'm. I'm, I'm not surprised, but I want to underscore this because I mentioned that I, I talked to CJ before. I haven't, I didn't even, I caught this little piece of a speech that he gave. I don't know how he feels about a lot of this. I'm interested in figuring it out. But at least one person who gets up on stage is narrowly focused on the Senate election and is talking about how important it is for people to go out and vote and is is at least paying lip service to this notion of the election being stolen. And we've seen a lot of opportunists do that sort of thing. Ted Cruz this week, um, which Rand Paul's doesn't, out there doesn't just surprise me at all. Just asking questions. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people, you know, just kind of right along the edge there. But there is a hardcore because as soon as this gentleman finishes talking, Lynn Wood goes on. I, I love him. He's great. Should run for governor. I'm going to disagree with him. 
don't fucking vote. Do not vote in this don't election vote. because That'll show. it's corrupt. Demand that these candidates for Senate, if they want your vote, that they will support us doing whatever is necessary. The Venezuelan to get opposition a new election did that, here. by the way. They, they oh, really? boycotted a, uh, uh, an election that was, was actually corrupt and it, uh, it ruined them for many, many years because they didn't compete. But I, I'm going to give you a, a Long Beach uh, reference Thank you. here when I was uh, watching uh, in the car after Camille sent the Linwood uh, clip. Is it, it reminded me of a Long Beach native. Uh, do you remember Marjo Gortner? No. Marjo Gortner, whose name is a portmanteau of Mary and Joseph, uh, who is a four-year-old preacher. And uh, had a thing came to him in the bathtub and then revealed uh, much later in life when he when his father absconded with all the money, millions of dollars. And he left the family, went to San Francisco, became a bit of a hippie and uh, was down on his luck, came back to California, started preaching again because that's how you make money. And uh, he had a crisis of conf- uh, of conscience and, and invited uh, people to follow him, a film crew, uh, and said, we're going to expose what I do when I do this Pentecostal stuff. and. And, uh, you know, we're going to expose the whole thing and, and, and did, by the way, and the, the documentary, one best documentary. So um, like exposing Pentecostal. From yeah, yes. and it's, pers- it's exactly what I thought of when I saw it's the exact cadence. You know, it's the it's that 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 ending suffix, you know, where it's like, you know, the election, uh, you know, it's like you add that, you know, it's like metal singers to this thing rah, at the end. It's like either in Metallica or you're a fucking Pentecostal preacher. And he's like, the people uh, are doing this uh, and he's doing this whole thing. And I'm like, this is a 10 revival. This is just this is Marjo and mm-hmm. it's the exact exact wow. way he spoke in exact way in that documentary. He's like, this is how you do it. This is, and he tells the crew before he goes on stage, this is how you do it. And that's exactly what he was doing. It's the exact same thing and getting them to say hallelujah and to shout and all this stuff. And like, you know, watch that performance in, it is a disgrace. Um, It is, it is dangerous that, you know, you have somebody up there saying we are currently in a civil war and, um, you know, suborning a coup. Or, I mean, when people talk about coups before, mm-hmm. I mean, you actually have somebody like Mike Flynn who is is saying we ha- the president has to declare martial law. Mm-hmm. Well, now I know why you're such good friends with Erdogan. Now I know why you were spending half your time on RT before you uh, were going to be the national security advisor. You're a rat bag. And whether or not, you know, we should have Eli Lake on to talk about this. I mean, the prosecution of him. Seem pretty crooked in a lot of ways, but that doesn't make him a good person. He's a bad guy. Mm-hmm. And the shit that he's doing, and he's retweeting this stuff and giving, like, he's a general, and he was part of the Trump administration for a hot minute. And, like, it's not just... Because the, the, the other analog to this is the John Birch Society. It's very, very Bircher in its nature and, like, saying... Because, you know, John Birch was, of course, you know, a, a Christian missionary who was killed by communists in China during the, the uprising against the Chiang Kai-shek years after the war, after the second world war. And he's killed there. And like, this is what they're saying. Like, you know, this is communist China is actually controlling our elections and blah, blah, blah. And they're the party that's, I mean, this is literally what Camille just read is the same bizarro external conspiracy theory mixed with internal quizlings. Mm-hmm. Those internal quizlings are carrying out the orders of, and at least uh, the John Birch society if they were talking about communists, were periodically right. 
<laughs> the, it was uh, by accident, but they're periodically right. The uh, analogy or like comparison that I've been uh, uh, weighing in my mind, and perhaps y'all can disabuse it, uh, it from me now, oh is that does it um, involve Elephant Man? No, because okay. that was good. Okay, that's good. I'm mm. going to use that against you. I've been waiting for like like, <laughs> like a good four years now. Yeah, I'm going to come back okay. and say I was so right yeah. and you were so wrong. Go find it in the archives. Yeah, uh, but uh, is that you know the old saw about like especially people on social media? If you are you know aggressively using a service for free, you are the customer, mm. right? Mm. The idea. Or like you are like you are the product, actually. You are the product. You're not the customer, you're the product. Hmm. Right? Like they're selling your shit um in order to like to come up with their service. You're following me. You're to fund it. Yes. Yeah. Right? Make a product. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh-huh. Buy Bentley's yeah. helicopters um, and shit. So um extending that analogy in the political world uh is that if you find yourself in a place where your outrage buttons that are like pushed, pressed, activated against the bad guys who are coming after you. And that's happening on a like a daily or a consistent basis. And that's happening um, and convincing you or persuading you or, or tilting you in the, in the direction of this or that thing is the truth, even though there are, let's say, 40 courts of law who say, what are you fucking even talking about when presented with similar evidence? Mm-hmm. If you find yourself as a consumer in that position, those lawsuits are not the product. You are the product, right? The product here is not like it's not what Donald Trump doesn't think he's going to win Mm-mm. any of these challenges. No. He doesn't think that he's going to win the election. He's going down into Georgia. Do you think that he thinks – He's going to like tip the balance. I'm not even some, pers- some speculation that he may announce his his race for 2024. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't be surprising. And what has uh, he raised? Yeah. 170 million dollars in the since all. Yeah, is that right? Yeah, something like that. He's got he's got some campaign debt to get rid of. I I, I say this out of a sense. Actually, it sounds like condescension, and it really isn't. It's like if you find yourself in this position, and plenty of Democrat voters. Democratic voters um, have found found themselves in this position over the last four years, too. If you're like buzzers are being activated and I just saw this thing on Rachel Maddow and I can't believe that Mm. the opposing tribe is so inherently venal Mm -hmm. that they're doing this. They must just be evil. And I can't believe that the world isn't ratifying these conclusions in courts of law and elsewhere. Um, it mu- there must be some other explanation for that. It could be that not it's not just that you're the audience, you're the product, mm-hmm. right? Meaning like they are seeing you as someone they can raise money off of right now. Mm-hmm. In the particular case of Donald Trump, these challenges are like – you know, can you send me all of the money in the world <laughs> so like I can challenge the, you know, Philadelphia recount, even though if you were challenging, like if you challenge the New York City recount, um, which he did better in New York City than this time than he did last time. We just found out today. Um, but like the places that he's having trouble is, is not the cities. He's actually gaining in the cities. Mm. It's the suburbs of the cities. You're like, fuck you. I'm, I'm done with it. But like you are the product. So what is Donald Trump doing right now? He is building his next business. 
whatever that is. Mm-hmm. Is the business running for president? Okay. Is, is this this uh, political action committee? Yes, it, it's already started. Is it paying off his campaign debts? That's also part of it too. Mm-hmm. Or is it the lawyers themselves saying, awesome, Sidney Powell, you know, is embarrassing herself if if uh, such a creature is capable of embarrassment. Mm-hmm. However, she also has this huge, huge spotlight. I mean, the cheers for her today, like watching that video, it's just like it's I, I used to be skeptical of the proposition that Donald Trump would go on to have some resonance in American politics going forward, like him himself, not like a lingering after effect, but like the Trump brand still still mattering. I would felt I thought you know, Republicans have, of course, embarrassed themselves. The party is a fucking disaster and they have no principle and no, no. ideological core. That's going to be a thing. But the, the possibility that Trump will linger and be doing things actively and serving an, a base in an active sort of way that goes on to have some some relevance in American politics – seems like a very real possibility to me at the moment. And the the prospect of the Sydney Powell's of the world having some sort of role in that empire is a little frustrating. It, it, Although it yeah. is it's very difficult to say because again, this this whole thing was a total disaster. Doesn't seem like anyone is really pulling the strings any more than like the Giuliani thing. But how many I don't disasters know who's, have we seen? Yeah, and, and has that effect? Seven. I'm just saying. I don't know who's. Go to I don't know Trump. who's. I don't know who is responsible for this. I don't know that that Trump is actually asking them to go down there. He's certainly not telling them to stop. Um, it, it functions. But, yeah. I mean, it functions as a cult, right? And there's and, and the thing about cults is that people often come to cults with real concerns. They they you know circle around these things in the 70s and 80s that are, you know, like they have major personal crises or whatever. There's a lot of people that we talk about this constantly, and I think that we don't need to talk about it anymore, that people went towards Trumpism because they were ignored by the Republican Party previously. You know, the the idiots like us who cared about, you know, markets were, you know, not paying attention to growing inequality and divides and gaps and, and, and wealth and the rest of it. But the thing about a cult is once the world starts attacking the cult, and this is, you see this in every cult, right? How does Scientology talk about the outside world? I mean, you can't, I mean, you're not allowed to communicate. I mean, there's disassociation, like literally with your family, if they say bad things. But there is this thing, this cult-like mentality that at the beginning of this, they were arguing and not totally wrong about it. That the the books were cooked against Donald Trump in a kind of media sense, and they talked about him in this way, and all of a sudden, not all of a sudden, there is, you're at a point now where it's gone so bananas. This is how it all ends, right? I mean, you know, Donald Trump lost, and he is just unchained and unhinged, and all the people around him are the same. And they're like, you know, the people crying as, you know, the army surrounds them in the field, right? It's like fucking <laughs> Jonestown. I mean, they're belie- they're sitting there cheering for this lunatic who is saying, like, easily falsifiable things. None of it makes sense. Donald Trump is giving a fucking speech tonight about the statistical impossibility of him losing, <laughs> which suggests he doesn't know anything about statistics, it's right? Shocking. It's odd. Uh, Utter, yeah, or possibilities. Yeah. <laughs> it is utterly bizarre. And, but he, the people, I understand why he does. 
the reason he does it, obviously, is what you're just saying. He's a criminal. He's, I mean, he's, he's a crook in the sense that he is a New York real estate guy who probably hasn't paid taxes in God knows how many years, squeezes people all over the place, leaves, you know, carnage in all these places he's tried to, brands he's tried to create, casinos he's tried to start in New Jersey, and just moves on, right? And he's not a good guy, right? I just think this is pretty obvious at this point. He's just not a good guy. And at the end of it all, he's acting like this, you know, with, without anyone checking him at all, because people are kind of leaving the ship at this point. And there are some people, the elected people, that are staying around because they know their constituents actually voted for Donald Trump. And that's what they're worried about. The people who are, you know, closest to him, you see. And my contempt, honestly, is for them. Yeah. My contempt right now literally is for someone who I have considered a friendly acquaintance in government. Mike Lee? Uh, <laughs> Rand Paul more than Mike Lee. Rand Paul's a piece of shit. Um, you <laughs> Sorry. That I uh, yeah. Uh, he's also just, he's personally an asshole. But like uh, uh, thin-skinned, um, for sure. And he, uh, for for, for me, I mean, well. if I was his neighbor, I would have punched him too. No, <laughs> oh that's God. not. That's not right. What? It's not. What's right. wrong with that? He lost part of his lung. That was a fucked up thing. <laughs> he does he have? Is he still From alive? Punch? He's fine. No, he was tackled. He was tackled. I mean, he's he needs to work out a little more. You tackled? You lose your lung? What's wrong oh, with that? God. He was sneak attacked <laughs> with headphones Jeez. on his ear and tackled by an absolutely aggro, crazy neighbor. My dad. I don't. I like. I don't know. I think you might have might have deserved it. <laughs> next, <laughs> next time you're in East Egg, like with your headphones on, like grooving to shorts. fucking purple yeah. harem. Yeah. <laughs> so when I come out, I'll, I'll be, it'll be like a fucking Bruce Lee movie. I'm not losing a lung. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm chopping some throat. I'm going to lose no lung. I'm lose no lung. I'm going to have three lungs after it. I'm going to tear that guy's lung out and put it in my, put it in my chest. Uh, like a man. I'm like a man. God not damn. like some punk. Uh. <laughs> At any rate. Uh, yeah, it's, it hasn't been a good day for Republicans and how they've behaved since then. Uh, since now. Um, and it's not like you, and it becomes revealed, right? Like Trump obviously doesn't actually have power anymore. I mean, there's the, 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 the kindest like interpretation on both Rand Paul and Lindsey Graham, who Mm -hmm. I see as like these, uh, like, uh, you know, uh, they're the ultimate threesome in the mini golf course with, with Trump. They're always chasing him around. Yeah. Like, can I play with you? Can we, can we get, and, and they're both doing it for the same reason, which is that Lindsey wants to start all the wars and Rand wants to stop or to uh, limit all of the wars. And so like both of them, if, if that is the actual interpretation of their, of their actions, and I think it, it like accounts for quite a bit. Um, they both want influence with this person because they both are really, really motivated by this question. Um, Lindsay in a way that I disagree with more Rand in a way that I agree with more, but both of them have debased themselves in that process. They both, aped the language of Trump, tried to be mini Trumps yeah. at time times like uh, Lindsey Graham at some point, you know, was asked to defend uh, Donald Trump saying, you know, like I, I'm being lynched over here. And someone's like, Lindsey Graham, you're like from South Carolina, like Lynch. Is that the word? He's like, yes, that's the word to describe <laughs> what's happening to Donald Trump right now. Uh, uh, that's exactly the word I was looking Rand for. has been just asking questions about election irregularities for the last three weeks. And it's totally fucking embarrassing and discrediting. So the best, like, uh, it, like 
interpretation is like, oh, they're just trying to be that last, you know, threesome thruple uh, out there to try to convince him either to go to war or to not go to war. However, a less charitable interpretation is that you should live your life as an honorable man Mm -hmm. or woman and like not be a dick and not excuse dickery. If you if you want to do that, you don't get into politics, right? I mean, that's that it kind of filters those people out. And now I know why. Or you leave the party at some point once they go too far and then retire and go do something else afterwards. Um, you try. I don't know. I'm. I'm. Yeah. I've never been more exhausted Rand, Rand by right fucking now? politics. Yeah, I just I wanted to see if maybe you wanted to insult Rand Paul right now. Oh no, fuck everybody. Okay, well, <laughs> all right. I just don't want to be out on a limb. Fuck, fuck Rand Paul alone, too. Sure. Um, being the only person and, who realizes and, and, that he's a coward and a really mad fighter. Wanted <laughs> to actually assault him? I don't. I don't want to assault. No, him. No, I mean, I don't want to assault anyone. No, I, I, there's anyone. Too, there's too much. To. There's too much violence. I. I don't know. Oftentimes, these conversations will happen, and I will come back around to like. There's a great deal of concern about the potential for political violence, but we've been experiencing political violence for months now, and in some respects for years now. Shortly after Donald Trump was elected, a dude decides that he's going to use members of Congress, Republican members of Congress, for fucking target practice. Like, that actually happened. Like, we, we are in that space and have been for some time, and... Interestingly, when people hear me talk about this in this way, when I try to highlight the fact that I think that there is a, a, a deep unseriousness on the left amongst elites that permeates the nearly the entirety of the media class um, and is directed primarily against Donald Trump and sometimes often frequently um, often frequently is there am I, is there a progression there? I hope no. so. Yeah. Maybe not. Down. Doesn't matter. There is a, a genuine like kind of fever there that like makes me nervous, and I think contributes to this broader hysteria. I'm not placing blame there and saying that the craziness on the right is a consequence of their craziness. I'm saying that all of it is feeding on it, on one another, and the circumstance is already pretty dire. And it's not a matter of when the violence will begin. It is already begun. And it's a question of where the whole thing fucking ends. It's weird it's that just, I know Jared Lofner's yeah. name, but I can't think of the guy's name who shot Steve Scalise. I don't know who was name. an actual uh, volunteer for Bernie Sanders. That's right. Yeah. It was a political shooting. Yeah. Whereas yeah. Jared Lofner is. Which, is, which is, to, to, to underscore is that is not to place blame on Bernie Sanders. It's oh, God, just no, like no. this is. But that guy was much more directly like political than Jared Lofner was. Who wasn't political at all. And yeah. who was tarred much more as the Bernie Sanders shooter was. Yeah. yeah. I wrote about this at the time. And like you feel like you're. You're barking up against a, 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 a like a, a cement wall on this stuff because you know you're gonna get bit, get hit by charges of both sides or uh-huh. whatever. Or people yeah, are just yeah. gonna forget. That's the most likely thing. It's yeah. the amnesia of like, oh no, no, we didn't totally accuse some like rando schizoid dude of having very specific political views, <laughs> and then like not apply that same standard to a guy who took a gun at Republicans on purpose. By the way, both sidesism is has become this phrase that is completely divorced from any, you know, meaning or any kind of rational debate because both sidesism um 
is sensible sometimes, particularly when it comes to political violence. I mean, the, both sides are capable of political violence. Mm -hmm. There's a history of political violence on both sides of the debate. Uh -huh. I mean, if you looked at the main kind of political factions in the 1960s and 70s, in Europe in particular, the violence was from the left. And then in the 80s in Italy, after the Red Brigades, you know, killed the fucking prime minister. Jesus Christ, we don't even remember this. Aldora Mora was killed by a terrorist group. And then there was a right wing um, reaction, a kind of like neo-fascist group that bombed a train station and killed God knows how many people. And I think Bologna, I can't remember where it was. But this how both sides of them is, is appropriate sometimes um, because both sides are capable of political violence. There's I mean, we don't. For some reason, all the protests that have ended in violence um, in the past year have not been been classified as political violence, despite the fact that it almost always is. You know, I mean, there's the MAGA guy that got shot, that, that shot and killed the guy in, in Portland and then was shot by the feds. Mm -hmm. The most substantial discussion I heard about it from people that I know was whether or not the uh, the feds ambushed him mm -hmm. and he was um, armed or unarmed. His previous crime wasn't discussed. It wasn't wasn't even really a oh, thing. Oh, the Antifa guy. Yeah, that guy, the, that guy. The Patriot Prayer. Yeah, um, and then yeah, look, yeah. and then there was a guy who was like a white nationalist in Portland, and you know, killed some people too. I mean, there's it was like two, three years ago. Um, the guy, the guy in the train. Yeah, he was actually a super mentally ill dude that had once. I mean, he was kind of a white nationalist, but he had once gone to a Patriot Prayer meeting. So now they're constantly trying to like. You know, like, well, he was a patriot prayer. I was like, well, actually, he wasn't, but he was a man. But it was, I mean, it was, it was political. It was because it was, it was racially motivated, the, the, oh, the crime. Oh, for sure. Oh, so, for sure. like, yeah, no, I mean, this stuff, this stuff exists all over the place. And, mm -hmm. you know, the both sidesism, I think, is, is appropriate. And my fear is when, you know, Camille, you sent that clip of the, the election official in Georgia saying people are going to get killed. Well, I don't know. I, I certainly hope not. Uh, the rhetoric is a bit crazy. Um, when you say people are sending emails with death threats, I mean, that's that known as I the think, Internet. I, um, think, I think the rhetoric is more than a bit crazy. And like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like, I mean, like yeah. to, I don't yeah. think I, I hope that his life and the lives of people involved are not in danger. Yeah. But I do absolutely agree with him that people stoking, promoting or turning away from, you know, pretending that they don't exist, that type of rhetoric. Uh -huh. like representatives of the president of the United States shouldn't be suggesting even as... Like or, or close associates, because again, these people aren't like officially representatives of right. the, of the of No Trump. longer, yeah. Yeah, but like... They distanced that, themselves from, from Ms. Powell they about a week ago. They be suggesting uh -huh. violence against people. Yeah. Like it's... it's again, so crazy that this happens on a daily basis that you sort of look away at some point. But I liked that press conference a lot. Um, he might have been emotional and hyperbolic. Yeah, I also yeah. don't have his job. Um, imagine that you've been a Republican in Georgia this whole time. And again, Georgia is right, like maybe second place from Kansas as being like Republican hard ass, I am going to create election security mm. in a way that Republicans will like. Mm. That's that state. It's not like some like like from that point of view, some some I think that's called voter suppression, Matt Welch, which <laughs> you're referring to. Yes. And yeah. so like to hear that emotion in the voice, he he brought up an excellent point. Like mm -hmm. 
the president of the United States, which is not supposed, we haven't had many, these 45 of them, um, he's acting like a dick mm-hmm. every day. Mm-hmm. The people who represent him specifically acting like dicks, saying things that aren't true. The people who are tangentially related to him mm-hmm. and like maybe last week were presented as representatives of him and are representing him in court acting like dicks, saying shit that isn't true. They are polluting, they're assaulting the fucking earth Mm -hmm. right now everywhere. And they're doing it in such a way that's not helping their party. Donald Trump in Georgia is not going to help Georgia win. Mm -hmm. It seems like normal normal people don't react well to this stuff if they actually see it. And I think that the one thing he said in that that was was, um, the strongest bit of it. And it is a bit of a cliche if I'm, if I'm going to indulge in a bit of a cliche is that, you know, why are you not saying something? Because I mean, how many Mm -hmm. books do you see about Churchill and they're called leadership, right? I mean, Margaret Thatcher wrote a book called leadership and that, you know, is an important concept here. It would be incumbent upon a leader to when, when there are people that are affiliated with him either directly or tangentially, or he's known and had in the oval office, whatever, or employed are saying things that are, violent. I mean, asking for the military to declare, declare martial law is an act of violence. Yeah. Period. So it's End a of story. It's a violence. It's mm-hmm. a, that's what you're, you're calling the military on the street Absolutely. is everything that one would hope that people that have not lost their minds in the Republican party would, would be opposed to. Um, and it is incumbent upon the president, uh, which we know he's incapable of doing uh, to come out and, and not only condemn this stuff, but con- con- condemn it forcefully. Or to come out and, 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 you know, say things that were even, you know, within the area code of truth. Yeah, I, I don't expect which she doesn't a nothing. goddamn thing from him. But no. I do not expect or like I would hope that the Tea Party of Ohio hmm. wouldn't sign up and vociferously endorse that same statement, hmm. which they did. The Tea Party, which arose in protest of rampant executive power. And well, run away. Yeah, I mean, these things don't. Spending. Supposedly. These things don't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Supposedly. They didn't really believe it. These things they don't didn't matter. matter. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, I, I thought so at the time, but these things don't. They don't give a fuck about care. this stuff. No, I mean, the, the number of people that transition from the Tea Party to a president who, you know, wants to grow government and has spent more on farm bailouts than, than President <laughs> Obama ever spent on uh, building out the auto industry. By a lot. By a lot. And, you know, I mean, th- these people have no principles either. I mean, yeah. it's just, the, 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 the problem is, is that you have a party that has, you know, this could be the, 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 the kind of dying embers of it. We don't know. But it is right now in the control of a, a bunch of lunatics. And I, and I, and I, and I think that the people who, are to, to your point, we're standing by and not only saying nothing, that's bad enough, by the way, it is bad enough to say nothing. The people who did speak out and we saw what happened to them, but the ones who are, you know, with a nod and a wink saying, well, we're just going to see what the results are. That kind of stuff is a disgrace. I mean, the Rand Pauls of the world, Lindsey Graham's of the world, and all of these people who have nothing in their previous iterations of their life in 2015, 16 have nothing in common with Donald Trump. And as a matter of fact, said very, very bad things about him. Accurate, bad things are, I mean, traitors to their ideology. If they even have one, 
you know, if they're, you know, small government people, if they're even neocons, you know, which is what fucking, you know, uh, Lindsey Graham was. And or if they're sort of libertarian ish as Rand Paul's, you guys have, are all you've all betrayed the principles that you once told people you adhered to. And you should be you should be ashamed of yourself. We should we should get out of here. We've, we've been going for a while. It's it's twelve oh five, so it's actually Thursday now. It's my daughter's birthday. Um, Happy birthday, uh, Leah. She's not listening to this podcast. We have a global cataclysm. This pandemic, this awful circumstance, the economic awfulness that is accompanying it. Like you would hope for. Like serious leadership at a time like that. Like you, there are major things that are going to need to be addressed, like tangible problems that exist. And I don't, this is not, I'm not equating them by saying that neither of the two major political factions are up to the task. Like you have the revivalists on one side who want to resurrect the past and make America great again. The best idea they have is, hey, we could just do the thing that we did that one time. Nonspecific bullshit. And you have the redistributionists who say, hey, those people have too much shit and you don't have enough. We'll just you know, redistribute that and everything will be fine. The people who write these what are supposed to be inspiring essays about how poverty only exists because we allow it to. The billionaires are a policy failure. It's just we'll, we'll take their shit and we'll give it to all of us. And in a time of genuine need, when everything seems fucking broken, I can only imagine that that kind of scheme feels a lot more attractive and interesting. And while it's a difficult argument to make at the best of times, the challenge is always to imagine or at least try to persuade people to consider why we're not all desperately poor. Like why, why we're not all living in hovels. Like we've done something here. There's been a trajectory that took us out of the fucking caves and put us in houses and gave us all sorts of brilliant medical technologies and gave us the ability to find collectively, I'm referring to it, but this is individual people's accomplishments, to find a, a, a vaccine for this dreaded pestilence in the course of like two odd fucking days. It's remarkable, a remarkable human achievement, which is not a function of revivalists or redistributionist paradigms. Like you're building shit. And I don't see anything that is compatible with that sort of vision. And it's distressing. It's genuinely distressing. So I'll take you out on that very sour note. It ain't sour. It's but but we're positive. here. Yeah. We're here. It's positive. There's yeah. a separate, there's a parallel universe that does shit. Yeah, this Outside is true. Outside of the world of politics. This is politics, fucking true. Which is narrow and cramped and like this tries to like be the domain over some shrinking pie. No, make more pie. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking ain't right. We need more pie. God damn it. Make more pie. I want pie. Who want a pie? <laughs> After I say who want a pie, I Give say me. Me bye. Pie. <laughs> bye. Bye. We know of new methods of attack. The Trojan horse.